yeah, next week is a big episode, so... Indeed. Also, Simon, so, you should technically be Big Boss, right? Should I? Yeah. I'm Big Boss. I don't know. Boss. Are you not, are you not our Big Boss? Ah, but I don't know anything about MGS. That's true. So I have no idea what that is a reference to. Uh, if you if you want my advice, since you, since you're if I'm Mantis and you're our leader, I guess that would make you Liquid Snake. I don't want to be a Liquid Snake. Okay, you could be Liquid Rye or Liquid Simon. That's not better. Okay, we could go with Dead Cell. Then you could be Solidus. I don't really want to be Solidus either. Oh, then I could be Fat Man. Though. I was going to say then I could be Vamp and Jack could be Fat Man. I could be Fat Man. You could be Fat Man. That would be appropriate. Jack could be Solidus. Mike could be Fortune. <laughs> but I don't think he'd look good in that swimsuit. I don't know. Can you I be a security camera? Yeah, you can be a security camera. Just call yourself exclamation mark. Wait, does that work? Wing. I could be a cardboard box. Yes. But apparently I can't be Decoy Jacktopus because that doesn't fit in the chat box. <laughs> Hello and welcome to World One Stage One. I'm Simon. I'm Mike. I'm Irish. And I'm Jack. And it's Hello. pretty much your show wow. today, Jack. It is. It's going to be like Zedler all over again, and then people are going to send me messages about how I got everything wrong. <laughs> well, that, not, that I, not that I get everything wrong, but that I didn't go into enough detail about X, Y, and Z. And or that you missed out an entire game. Yeah, and I almost did that with my notes today, and it would have been really, really silly if I'd missed out one of these games, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention it later on. Um, but yeah, uh, so it, the thing is, I'm not going to get things wrong, or I might get things wrong, but please don't hold it against me. That, that's just sort of, you know, how things go. If I miss out any particular bit of information, please don't be angry. There is just so much to talk about with this franchise. Or, or be angry. Send me an email and tell me to hit him for it. Yeah, or, or you could, you don't, don't do that. But before we get started, yes. I haven't been to the cinema this week. <gasps> you, wait, you haven't been to the cinema? No. What no. did you see? Sorry, that doesn't really work. I'm lost. I'm going to the cinema tomorrow. <gasps> oh, what will you see? Uh, Percy Jackson, Sea Monsters. Ah, cool. I, I have been to the cinema this week. Oh, yeah. What did you see? I saw Red 2. Was How it was good? it? It was... I really enjoyed it. It's not like a great movie, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot better than Red 1, and I really liked oh, Red that's, 1. That's good then. Yeah, you know, if you've, so I, I if you've seen of, the first one and you liked it more, then that's for you. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I kind of can't bring myself to watch it because of the Bruce Willis interview. I I saw no Bruce Willis interview. There was an interview. There was it. Oh, oh, you missed this. Oh, there was an interview. Oh, oh, sounds bad. Put it this way: you know how Kevin Smith has been saying ever since Cop Out that meeting Bruce Willis kind of let him down because he loved Bruce Willis and then he met him. I thought that was and discovered Chevy, that the guy's actually Chase. an asshole. Hmm? I thought it was Chevy Chase. No, 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 no. Chevy Chase is an asshole for a different reason. Okay, I thought that was someone who talked about like wanting to meet Chevy Chase, and then he met Chevy Chase, and he's like, "Oh shit, this guy is not. He is just the same guy." He's that been was also Kevin Smith. Oh, okay, but <laughs> yeah, but he worked with Bruce on Cop Out. Okay, and he said it was such a letdown because um, Bruce Willis turned out to be a complete asshole. Oh, and I never quite knew what to make of this because. Kevin Smith literally has turned talking shit into a career. 
Hmm. Hmm. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Not maliciously, but he makes up a lot of crap. Yeah. Until I heard an interview with his PA, which got really emotional, and she was even angrier at Bruce for sucking than Kevin was. Huh. I thought, oh, maybe there's something to this. Then I heard an interview between Kevin Smith and Ryan Johnson. I think it's Ryan Johnson, the guy who made Looper. Mike's, Mike's nodding, so I'll, I'll go with cool. that. And he, oh, he's not his response else. was, um, oh, you got the moon. Which, upon explanation, apparently this is how some people refer to Bruce Willis. There are two Bruce Willises. There is the sun, and there is the moon. Kevin got the moon. Right. Now this interview exists... We can all see the moon. It's uh, an interview to promote Red 2 with some morning drive time show um, DJ. Yeah. British. And Bruce clearly doesn't want to be there. Okay. And turns into the lowest energy, depressing, outright hostile asshole. Huh. And that's talking about Red 2. And when specifically he goes off on something about how this isn't fun, I'm just here to sell the movie. So the DJ says, okay, how would you sell the movie? How would you sell it to me? He just says, I wouldn't. (laughs) Damn. So I was just watching that going, well, that sounds like a great movie. Yeah. (laughs) He's so thrilled. Do you you trust Bruce Willis's opinion or mine? Okay, let me me rephrase that. I mean, he's Bruce Willis. Let me rephrase that, actually, because I realize that involves you having to trust me. Um, Do you like... Me or Bruce Willis more? Yeah, you really. He did Die Hard, same. Jack. Eh? He did Die Hard. Yes. Um, he did Looper. You did nothing. <sighs> he did Moonlighting. Ah. Uh, who would you? No. He did Hudson Hawk. I was about to say, who would you rather hang out? No. Um. Did, pff, pff, never mind. <laughs> I don't have Moon Jack. <laughs> <laughs> You are Moon Moon. I, I am not Moon Jack. <laughs> you are Moon Moon. I am not <laughs> moon, moon Jack. I am simply Jack Jack. No, wait, that's the baby from The Incredibles, isn't it? It, it is, is, yeah. Uh, shit. You're not mind. as good as Jack Jack. I'm not as good as Jack Jack. That is true. He was he was awesome. He was a boss. He was a, boss. <laughs> a tiny, boss. terrifying boss. So, yeah. So, that's cinema. Mike, have you been to cinema? No. No. Thanks, Mike. So, so, Mike's been in the hospital instead. Have I, yeah, that's have true. I, am I supposed to have been in No, no, that's fine. You've, you've been in hospitals. Yeah. What's been wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing. I just... Well, other than that, that I time... I decided to hang out in hospitals. Other than that, that time you high-fived the grill. Well, you didn't, I didn't high-five the grill. I was... You rested your hand on the stove. I was trying to look very nonchalant and just... <laughs> eat it in the kitchen. I injured myself whilst trying to look cool. It's the story of Mike's life. <laughs> Yeah, I broke my hand. Didn't need to go to the hospital for that, that was fine. But you had blisters on your fingers. Oh, I've got blisters on my fingers, it's great. I can't feel anything on my right hand. Oh my god. It's fun. Yeah. So what's See, happened this week? Um, um, they've some, pulled very pickles out of the London sewers. Oh yeah. yeah. God, that was disgusting. Yeah. Uh, so that's much, near me. How much of that were you personally responsible for? Almost nil. Oh, I was going to say like several tons. Tumblr has exploded over all the Moffat stuff after the weekend. The Moffat stuff? Well, with the Sherlock teaser and the Doctor Who announcement. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is true. There is a new Doctor. I literally, I was sitting there with my fingers in my ears just going, (sighs) I'm just dreading the moment when it comes along. It's going to fill up my Facebook feed. It's going to fill up my tub. Oh my God, it's Peter Capaldi! 
<laughs> and that completely changed everything. It did. Well, it's like, I'm, this is the thing is like, when I first saw David Tennant as the Doctor, I was just like, oh, I'm going to stop watching this now, even though I'd like watched, what, two episodes of Eccleston. And, and, and your reaction on Facebook was the best thing. Malcolm Tucker? Yeah. I was so annoyed seeing all these people going, who's Peter Capaldi? And I'm like, oh, it's for fuck's Malcolm sake. Tucker. See, I gotta say, I prefer the "Who's Peter Capaldi" reference uh, uh, res- responses. Yeah, because the oh, the Doctor swears. Those jokes got old before they oh, started. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And besides, he's not Malcolm Tucker. He's Angel Islington. For the Neverwhere fans out there, certainly. Which is actually a much, in better, fact, yeah, which is a much better uh, indication of what he might be like because that's a much yes. more interesting character. Well, I don't want to say more interesting, but a much. A very, very different character to Malcolm Tucker, let's put it that way. But it was Neil Gaiman's reaction was the best. Yeah? Tin Full Hat Brigade. TV's Angel Islington is the Doctor. Radio's Angel Islington is Sherlock. Both written by Moffat. Yep. Nice. you got to think of, um, as, a, as of most of them, he's already been in Doctor Who. Yeah. He has. Uh, and also every episode of Torchwood Children of Earth. Yeah. yeah. So. It's happened before, though. Uh, Colin Baker was... A small part in a Peter Davidson storyline? Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And also, Karen Gillan was in the same episode as him. Not Colin Baker. No. Peter Capaldi. Yeah. That was a good episode. I was like, I was was sat there when I saw it, I was like, he was in, he, I swear to God, I was doing the Googling for ages and then somebody on Tumblr ruined it for me and I was like, oh, I was going to figure that out. It's just for me, (laughs) they picked the wrong guy from Neverwhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Patterson Uh, Joseph. Patterson Joseph, absolutely. And if they can get the old marquee costume out of storage, they don't even need a new costume. Absolutely. Actually, speaking of costumes, did you see that interview with uh, Colin Baker recently? Yes. That was pretty cool. It was. Uh, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, Colin Baker was talking about his plan- what he wanted as his costume for Doctor Who. And the, the way he described it, basically went, it was essentially what they gave to Eccleston. So Colin Baker's huh. ideal Doctor costume was like a leather jacket and the sort of beat-up clothes and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. It's a little different to what he got. Oh, yeah. Just and then a I, just, I saw the photo edits of literally um, Colin Baker in Eccleston's Doctor outfit. And then what was even better than that was seeing Eccleston in Colin Baker's Doctor outfit. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrifying as shit. That's ingenious. Ooh, one thing I did this week. You did one thing this week other than mutilate yourself on a stove. Yep. I played and completed Blood Dragon. Oh my god! <laughs> Such a fucking good game. Everyone should play Blood Dragon. It is that game has the best sense of humor I've ever seen. It is concentrated stupid. But it, sometimes that's it is just concentrated eighties, which is yeah, concentrated is, stupid by any other name, I suppose. It is it's the best game as well. Nothing. I don't. I think it's going to be really tough for anything this year to beat that game for me. That was so good. Everyone needs to play it. It's like my new thing. I'm going to play it again. I wish I could run it, but I can't. You can you can come play it on mine. Okay, I'll I want you to play it. All right, then I will. I want everyone to play it. Okay, cool, we will. That was easy. Ever. Once we've all played it, we can do an episode about it. Ooh, yes. We can play that. We should do one, of, we should do one of the Far Cry franchise. The Far I Cry. mentioned this the other week. Did we? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, be emphatic when you talk. Talk in wild gesticulations and weird voices, and we'll remember. So you want me to Shatner? I think Actually, like, that would be amazing. Either Shatner or John Travolta from Battlefield Earth. It. I mean, have you not? Have you, have you not seen that game? What's so, that? So, basically, in the situation you're doing something, someone shouts Shatner at you, and then you have to carry on what you were doing with wild, you know, flamboyant moves. I first saw that game as infomercial. 
Yeah. <laughs> which is where someone yells infomercial and you immediately have to fuck up whatever you're doing in the most overwrought way possible. And then look really shocked about it. <laughs> now, the, the most fun is if someone knows of both of these, just yell, infomercial, Shatner! Oh and watch as someone God. fucking shoots their spine out of their back in their attempts to overact. <laughs> There's something on the beach. I've thrown my milk at the window, inexplicably. If only there were something that, in, that was invented that could clean milk from a window easily. <laughs> Man, I love Shatner. It's great. What yeah. else do you love, Jack? Are we are we going to go into the episode this quickly? Because I'm totally okay with that. Because there's so much to talk about. But don't we have? Well, it's a big subject, and you love segways. I I love. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, segway. Okay, William Shatner. I said, what else do you love, Jack? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to make this harder on myself. I'm giving myself a challenge, dude. Come on, put play on this in European difficulty. Um, William Shatner is from Canada. Yeah, but has American citizenship. Okay. Do you know what else is American but in Canada? John. Alaska. No. Wait, yes. William it's not Sha- in Canada. Alaska? It's basically in Canada. It's American. It's next to Canada, like the rest of the continental United States. Yeah, it's Detroit. it's American, but it's in Canada. No, it's it, next to Canada. It's more Russian than it is Canadian. You're more Russian than you are Canadian. Metal Gear Solid, everyone. There we go. Russia, Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You played directly into my hand. I'm sorry, I'm circuitous, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go get some tissue to clean that up. Ew. <laughs> right, so Metal Gear Solid. Let's just take a quick show of voices. Um, who here in this hosting of this podcast has played a Metal Gear game? Me. Me. Yep. Damn it, Mike. So three of it. Wait, wait, which one have you played, uh, Simon? Acid. Oh, of course. Right, you've played. One of the ones I haven't played. <laughs> so this could get interesting. I'm going to have to defer to you at some point. So there's I don't a, cu- know a lot about it. I didn't finish it. That's okay. You've done. That's more than I've done. Wait, I helped you build Metal Gear Rex. Does that count? That yeah, that that counts. I do have a, a Metal Gear Rex. Um, I don't know what you'd call it, really, like a model kit. Model kit. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Uh, sitting on my bookcase right now. It is amazing. Well, I would call it a toy, but that's because I like demeaning you. It is a toy. I like toys. What's wrong with <laughs> so toys? And you know what else I like? Metal Gear Solid. Yay, segue. You, you've done your segue. Yeah, no, but I've done another one. I've gone back and replayed it on easy difficulty, you see. Can we have a segue counter? Every time he does one, just bring like up a, another point. If he gets 50, we'll slap him. Or you could just not slap me. I saw that look. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so basically, there's a couple of ways we can do this. I mean, should we just go through it in sort of like chronological order? Because that seems to be how we do the, the franchise episodes these days. Well, let's start with a bit of an overview, because let's face it. This is insane. Yeah, and this is why I was I was you know making my my apology earlier and basically saying I'm not going to go into shitloads of detail because there's so much here and I'm, plot wise I'm literally going to have to do such a, a superficial overview that it, it's going to seem a bit silly to a lot of fans. But literally there's so much to talk about. So doing an overview, Metal Gear Solid is a series of stealth action games, tactical espionage action games where you are a an agent who is dropped into the field and has to procure equipment and items and weapons on site in order to foil mostly a terrorist organization uh, for uh, who are planning to use a special weapon, usually Metal Gear. There's a couple of times when that's different. And they're going to launch a nuke and like blow up the world or something. That is pretty much the plot of every Metal Gear. Cool. Pretty much. 
Sounds like I'd enjoy it. In a, in a, in a big, crazy Japanese nutshell. Am I right in saying that the whole lot of them are Sony exclusives? Uh, no. There, there are a couple out there, um, Nintendo. Um, but for the, for the most part, <sighs> Metal Gear Solid 4 was Sony exclusive, because it came out on the PS4. Well, Metal Gear Solid... Yep. One, one, two, three, and four, when they were first released, were all Sony exclusives. When the, yeah, um, but I believe Metal Gear Solid 2 was on the Xbox as well. It was released when they did the Substance. Oh, Substance, yeah, and then it came out in the HD collection. So, mm. yeah, at release, yeah, I think they were planned to be, but there was... Uh, releases, there were Sony exclusives. Yeah, there was also Twin, Twin Snakes, which was yeah. a GameCube exclusive. Which was a remake of Metal Gear Solid. And obviously when they first started, they were all... Well, when they first started, they were technically all on the NES, so they started with Nintendo as well. Mm. Uh, and there is also a game I'm going to talk about later on, uh, as a side thing, because it doesn't really fit into the, the canonical um, storyline, um, which is Metal Gear Solid on the Game Boy. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, which, weirdly enough, I was going to not talk about, because I never played it and I don't think anyone had. And then I was looking into it, and guess what? It is the most highly critically rated... Metal Gear Solid game ever made. Huh. Metal Gear Ghost Babble on the Game Boy Color is the highest rated Metal Gear game ever made. And we'll get to that in, in due course. I have played it. Have you? Mm-hmm. What did you think? It was a long time ago. I can't remember. It was alright. You know, I can't really remember it that much. Yeah. Honest, That's that enough. long ago when I played it. Right. So, basically just to explain like the, the development of things, how, how things sort of got started. Um, Originally, Metal Gear was um, being developed by someone at at Konami who hasn't really been named, but basically wasn't able to develop, wasn't able to uh, spend as much time on it as he wanted to, and basically gave it to a man called Hideo Kojima. Um, and there should have been like a chorus of angels singing and stuff like that when, <laughs> when I mentioned the name Hideo Kojima there. I'm not sure there should. Okay. <laughs> Who's um, Hideo Kojima? Hideo Kojima is is Metal Gear's. God figure. He is the man that has stood there the entire time and given us this crazy, crazy world of nukes and Russians and crotch grabbing. He did daddy. He did daddy. He is big boss. I thought I was big boss. No, you're not big boss. Um, and basically it was supposed to be an action game. Um, it was basically, it was supposed to be the Call of Duty modern warfare of its age. It was supposed to be a hyper realistic depiction of, um, warfare at the current time, that time being 1987, I believe. Uh, and it's being developed for the MSX2, and I've never heard of the MSX2. Simon, what's an MSX2? I have no idea. Really? Okay. I, I, uh, damn, I was hoping for that. But basically, yeah, uh, MSX2. Um, which, yeah, it's a console from the, the Stone Ages. Um, but apparently the MSX2 didn't really have the capability to handle that sort of thing. Like having looked it up, yep, I'm delighted. What is it? It's a Sony computer. Oh, really? Yes. Ah, fantastic. It is a Sony home computer. They're sort of equivalent of the Spectrum, that sort of era. Ah, okay. Oh my god, it was. Well, basically, the MSX2 it couldn't handle the stuff that they wanted to have with a tactical um, action shooter game. Um, and Kojima, after a while, felt felt well, this is really going to hamper the whole combat aspect. Um, and the original game apparently was inspired a lot by The Great Escape, and he thought of this idea of, rather than having to shoot your way out of everything, use your smarts, sneak past the guards, get by them when they're not looking, think your way through the areas rather than gunning everything down. And that's sort of where the, the idea of the of this Metal Gear Solid as stealth game comes from. 
Um, and then when that was made, uh, a separate team uh, ported it to the NES, and that's the one I think most people have played, really. Because I think the, the NES is a lot more widespread <laughs> than the NSX2. Mm. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Metal Gear, uh, essentially, that it, it started off that whole trope of, you are special agent, well, I'm not sure your exact title, but you are sort of like working for a an organization called Foxhound, which is a sort of special intelligence unit, um, and you've been told by your leader, Big Boss, that you have to go into a, a fortress in South Africa, um, or just outside, I think it's just outside the border of South Africa, so it's a little bit north of South Africa. I'm not sure, there's a couple of countries over there, like Lesotho and so on, but um, yeah, basically, you have to go in there because some terrorists have developed a big, terrifying weapon, and they sent in a guy called Grey Fox to go in and defeat these terrorists, but he disappeared, and his last transmission simply said, Metal Gear. Metal Gear. That is it. Then you're dropped in with no weapons, no equipment, and you've got to sneak in and find out what's going on, save Grey Fox, and defeat the terrorists. Uh, or rather, I will say, you've got to try and find Grey Fox. The exact mission is, and I quote, this is in the English version, Contact Missing Our Grey Fox. Uh, do we remember when we were talking about like the, the X-Men arcade game? Yes. And the whole uh, welcome to die. Yeah. I feel like it might have been the same people involved with this goddamn game. Gotcha. I remember running through this game and, and watching a guard sort of standing in place and thinking, right, how am I going to sneak past him? He then very loudly announced in all capital letters, I feel asleep! And then he fell asleep. <laughs> I suppose that's straightforward and direct. Yeah, and then after like... 10 seconds, he woke up. And then after another 10 seconds, he loudly announced, I feel asleep again, and fell asleep. So, narcoleptic, man. Yeah, pretty much. And, I don't know, with some kind of inner monologue problem, I guess. He has the World of Darkness dementation vocalization. Oh, yes. Exactly. I feel asleep. And that was, yeah, Metal Gear. Along the way, you start to find out a bit more information. It starts to seem like all these terrorists seem to know a little bit too much about you. About someone turning up at your flat, as yeah, you yeah, everyone's podcast. here. We don't expect people. Re- Not everyone in the world. No, Mike Skill, Kim, though. Investigate. Um, yeah, and basically along the way, it, you come across the first instance of Metal Gear Solid. Well, the Metal Gear franchise breaking the fourth oh. wall, which is a big, big thing. Because uh, basically, after a while, um, Big Boss, your leader, sends you a message saying. Essentially, you're getting too close, you, you, you need to back out, it's getting too dangerous, you need to turn off the console. Not not you need to abort the mission, you need to turn off the console. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I am aware of Metal Gear doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And it turns out, rather unsurprisingly after that, that Big Boss is actually, you know, the Big Boss. He is the final bad guy. Um, the idea is that he sent you in there so that you would get captured, and then they would give you shitloads of fake information, and then send you back so that you'd spread misinformation and give them, like, a head start. All the while, Big Boss could say, you know, have, what's the word, um, plausible deniability about being involved because he sent a mission to go and stop these guys. And then you basically beat him up, save the day, and get on out of there. Or do you? Well, you do. But you also get a message from Big Boss saying that, you know, I'll get you next time, Gadget. So on the whole, apart from the little meta fourth wall breaking, that sounds surprisingly straightforward and unmessing around compared yeah, to what I was expecting. It's It's got a lot of silliness, uh, specifically in the names of some of the characters. Um, mm. Especially before, well, especially before they were uh, renamed. Uh, I'm trying to think, I had a list of them, actually. Because uh, I remember one of them was called Coward Duck. Yeah, there we go. Um, the first boss, Shoot Gunner. Right. Who's a man with a riot gun. Machine Gun me. Kid. 
machine gun kid who was an SAS operative with a machine gun, fire trooper, a man with a flamethrower, coward duck, who was a man with a boomerang, right, and Arnold, who is a TX-11 class android. So I'm quite glad that coward duck is not a duck. Yep. But that aside... Yeah, Arnold, the Arnold the evil robot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Subtle. Yeah. He his name was changed to Bloody Brad uh, in the uh, in later releases. As not was what I'd call an improvement. Coward Duck's name was also changed to Dirty Duck. That's also not what I'd call an improvement. And Shoot Gunner was changed to Shotmaker. They're not getting better. <laughs> so yeah, there's there, that's Metal Gear. There's a lot more to talk about it, but obviously we have a finite amount of time. Right. Do you remember when we were doing the Zedler episode? Oh, that that time ago, and and I I made I, I made our other host cry by mentioning here's where the timeline splits. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, here's where the timeline splits. That's pretty early, yeah. Because basically, Hideo Kojima then went on to go and do all his other things that he was doing at the time. He was a busy young man in in uh, Konami. At least not. And Konami decided that they wanted to make another Metal Gear game, so they started making another Metal Gear game called Snake's Revenge, which was essentially just, it was more of the same. Um, it's just, you transpose out Zanzibar for the Middle East. Okay. Uh, it does, it officially does not fit into the, the canon of the sort of Metal Gear Solid timeline. Um, and it is, uh, useful to mention because I, I just need to get this off my chest. There was a problem with instruction manuals back in those days. <laughs> uh, this being, I think, 1980... No, 1990, okay. At least you got instruction manuals back then. Well, yeah, but the <laughs> thing is, the plot to the game, which you got from playing the game, because it was even back then was still quite you know dialogue-heavy and, and, and um, storyline-based, but the plot in the instruction manual had nothing to do with the plot of the game, and in fact was very offensive. Right. Right. Basically, the plot is... The plot of Snake's Revenge is uh, Big Boss isn't dead, he's a giant robot now, and he's going to nuke the world with another Metal Gear. Metal Gear being that secret weapon that Grey Fox found before he was captured. And he's developed this weapon, and yeah, he's going to sort of take over the world, you've got to go and stop him. In the instruction manual, he is not Big Boss, he is Hyarola Kokomami. Wait, what? He is Hyarola Kokomami. That's, that's made to sound like Ayatollah Khomeini, by the way. Yep. Yep. He's an Eastern despot who has obtained the plans for the uh, for Metal Gear, except Metal Gear in this is called the Ultra Sheik Nuclear Attack Tank, or not Ultra Sheik. I never <laughs> know how to pronounce it. Right. Right. And he's obtained those plans from the villain from the first game, which you'll remember Big Boss. is Big Boss. So Big Boss has obtained the plans from Big Boss. Right. Right. Only the Big Boss from the first game is called Vermin Katafi. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, this game had, even like, the game itself had nothing to do with that terrible, terrible instruction manual, but it, the game itself also had nothing to do with Hideo Kojima. It was a completely separate team working just to make a game for the NES. This is also quite an interesting thing because it is the first time we can see that Hideo Kojima is a little bit crazy. You don't say. Yeah. In 1999, Hideo Kojima was interviewed about Snake's Revenge. Right. Well, he was interviewed and asked, what did you think of Snake's Revenge? You know, that, that Metal Gear game that you basically had nothing to do with. And he said he enjoyed it and thought that it was faithful, and I'm quoting, quoting directly here, faithful to the Metal Gear concept. Okay? Right. Okay. 2009, he was asked again what he thought about Snake's Revenge. His direct quote, 
It was a little crap game. Interview with Nintendo Power later that same year. I don't consider it to be a bad game. Right. <laughs> Mixed messages. Yeah, like I said, this is the first time we really get a, this. This game seems to give us our first thing of going. Hideo might not be all there. Well. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that's Snake's Revenge getting a little mention there simply because of the badness. So I mean, yeah. Um. And the sort of strangeness to it. Uh. Whilst that was basically going on. A guy who was working at the sort of top of um, Konami said to Hideo, oh, uh, they're making a Metal Gear game, a Metal Gear sequel, but it doesn't seem to be going all that well. Do you want to make one? Do you want to make your own one, like an actual Metal Gear sequel? And he said yes, and made Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake, um, which was released in 1990 as well. So that must have been bloody confusing, I've got to admit. Um, which, oh, was that? that was again released for the MSX2. And I believe there was an, a NES port made after that. Which I've I've got to correct myself, is actually a Microsoft standard for making sort of cheap home computers. Oh. Sony made one, but so did everyone else. Okay, fair enough. So it was sort of like uh I don't know what an equivalent today would be. Well it's like how everything today is an IBM compatible. Right. It was the <laughs> thing of its it was the MSX the MSX was the IBM of the day. But sort of. We never made it in the past. Also not. It was only in the East. Oh, okay. So So that's why we had to have the NES ports over here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Metal Gear 2, a lot more in-depth. It looked fantastic. The, the, the out, the, um, the outlay of the game was very, very different. Um, you could have this whole sort of like much more stealthing of going under things and hiding rather than just sort of running behind walls to hide from enemies. Did it have cardboard boxes? Uh, I don't believe it had cardboard boxes. I could be very, I, I, I could be wrong though, because I, I literally, I never got very far in Metal Gear or Metal Gear 2, because they're really fucking hard. <laughs> Who would have thought it? A game from the 80s and early 90s that was hard. But yes, for listeners who are familiar with the games, they'll notice that my chiming in is largely, these games are nonsense, cardboard boxes, and exclamation marks. Yep, pretty much. That's my association with the whole franchise. Um, Metal Gear! And, I'm, I'm and done. Like, that's it. That's all I know. Um, basically, it was, it was just an upgrade in every single way. In those games, that sometimes you, you get like a good game, and then the sequel comes out, and you're like, holy shit, that just blows everything out of the water. They've improved on everything. I like when that happens. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, and uh, Solid Snake was uh, one of those. Basically, plot is, there is a big fortress somewhere in Central Asia. A scientist has been kidnapped. He's invented something called Metal Gear D. You've got to go and stop Metal Gear D from launching a nuke and destroying the world. Or destroying, you know, peace. So, yeah. It's, again, plot-wise, more of the same. But it's just an improved game in every, as- in every aspect. Um, it's been widely talked about as basically being one of the most complex and deep storylines of a NES game, uh, and one of the best 8-bit games ever made, apparently. So there's that. I'm not going to go back to talking about Snake's Revenge. It's high praise. Yeah. Um, it's all about, you know, nuclear proliferation and stuff like that. So, I mean, 1990, that was still quite a an open wound, really, wasn't it? It's still a fairly sensitive subject now. Well, yeah, but I mean, imagine 1990. I mean, you don't have to imagine 1990. You were there. I was. Yes, but I'm not suggesting that you worked for the Kremlin in 1990. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm very glad you're not suggesting that. Good, good. We are extremely pleased. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's the sort of the two, I don't want to say le- lesser known games, but the, the two games that sort of before it became huge and insane. Because after that, we get Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation. Yep. And that's the one that is sort of the first one I have any familiarity with. This is what I mean. Yeah, it was the first, it was the first one I played. I didn't really know anything about it 
I didn't know anything about the franchise before playing Metal Gear Solid, which left me feeling rather confused when playing the game because it makes a lot of references to Metal Gear and Solid Snake. <laughs> See, I had was, played, uh, I had played Metal Gear when I was a lot younger, but that was so long ago. By that point, it you know I could just gone back around again, basically. Mm. Yeah, but it was it was a perfect game for the PlayStation generation. Because gaming had just got huge, so yep. there was a, a massively inflated audience, you know, uh, Wipeout and games like it mm. were selling PlayStations to people who wouldn't ordinarily buy them. There, there was a PlayStation in so many homes across the world. Yeah, and it was a slightly more mature audience. They Sony were pitching at the sort of MTV generation, yeah, who had grown up with their Nezes, and it gave them a CD, which gave them all this space to tell this sprawling story. It must have been a dream come true for Hideo. Yeah. I mean, especially considering it was such a mature plotline as well. I mean, um, the, some of the stuff this game deals with is is ridiculous. Um, furthering on from things like, you know, the nuclear proliferation, things like that, you've, you've got um, the ethics of warfare, even like non-nuclear warfare, uh, gene modification, uh, racism and things like that, the, the history between nations like uh, America and Japan and Russia. Some of this stuff is really, really deep. And, you know, I was quite young when I first played it, so it all mostly went over my head. But every time I go back and replay it, and I just think it's ridiculous how deep this game is. And the music for it, fantastic. Um, it didn't come out until 1998, but it had been being planned since, I believe it was like 1994. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, 994. Uh, originally going to be called Metal Gear 3. It was going to be released on the 3DO interactive multiplayer. Oh, good thing it wasn't. Yeah. Do you, do you remember yeah. that then? Hmm? Do you remember that one then? I do. Oh dear. Uh, I remember no one had one. Oh, okay. I remember there was a shop, I think in the Beechwood Arcade, that, well, that's a local reference yeah. for us, not for most listeners. Go Beechwood! Uh, <laughs> they had a 3DO, sort of a demo unit. Yeah. So I remember seeing it and then trying to show it off. It was basically a CD based games console, but it's the one you've not heard of. Yeah. Fair enough. That is actually the reason why they stopped uh, developing it for the 3DO, because no one was buying them. So then so they went, let's go with this whole PlayStation thing. Um, I believe it was Philips's attempt to get into gaming. The 3DO? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yes it was. Um, so yeah, he decided to call it Metal Gear Solid because not many people outside of Japan have played the MSX2 games. Um, the word solid because Solid Snake, but also apparently because it's supposed to represent the, the 3D computer graphics rather than the sort of top-down sprite. Ah. I mean, I can kind of see that, I guess. Well, that might just be Hideo being crazy. It might be. But since then... He is crazy. But literally since then, it has been Metal Gear Solid whatever, um, right up until the latest game, Metal Gear Rising. Revengeance. We'll, 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 I, I, if we we'll get, get time... Vengeance. If we have time, we'll come to that one. All I remember... Well, let's, let's, all... let's come to that one briefly now. Okay, cool. It's called Revengeance. It's called, yes, it's called Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. They took the word revenge. They took the word they vengeance. added it to the word vengeance because one was not enough. It's double. Double the revengeance. I mean, double the revenge vengeance. But what they've done is they've sort of forced a portmanteau out of two synonyms. Yeah. So it's revenge vengeance. Maybe it's really clever in Japanese. Possibly. Possibly. That's, that's all I'm hoping for, really. Maybe. Um, I just wanted a brief interlude to rant about that. Yeah. Back to it. All I remember the f- first uh when it came to Metal Solid first appearing was playing the demo CD to death. Yeah. Yeah, oh god, yeah. I remember well, when I first saw it was being it was like a ten minute timed demo type thing. Yeah. 
the idea that that sort of tutorial mission at the very beginning where you're in a and you basically swim into into a warehouse and there's all these guards walking around you've got a radar that gives you their cones of vision and you've got to sneak by when they're not looking and you can knock on walls to attract them and then you can grab them in a choke hole and knock them out and it's it's just incredible for for the stealthy it's not just run away so they don't see you you can lead them away you can lead them into ambushes you can try and like kick the shit out of everyone but you don't start off with a gun so you know best of luck with that um yeah, so I just want to veer away slightly again. Yeah, yeah, cool. After a comment in the chat room. Oh, right. That Sharknado makes just about as much sense. Yeah. <laughs> as a name, Sharknado makes more sense. Because it's taking two words that are different concepts <laughs> and combining them into a new concept that you can form with your understanding of the two words used. It, it's like... Sharknado. A tornado of sharks. A, a better thing would be if someone had made a film called Fish Shark. Yes. It's part fish, part shark, but a shark is All a fish. fish. You know, yes. fish shark, revengeance. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or squidopus. Yeah. Actually, I mean, <laughs> they are slightly different. Yeah. But the idea of combining the two is very close to the idea of either one on their own. Yes. But it That's is also revengeance. A good point, a good point in, the, in the chat room as well that it is also not canon. Um, but still, it happened, and I really like writing, but we'll come to that later on because there's a little bit of fan mail to do with, um, Metal Gear Solid from, from Lazarus that I want to read at the end and take a quick thing around, which I can actually probably get by explaining stuff now. Metal Gear Solid. You remember how I basically went, how simple and sane the plot seemed of Metal Gear and Solid Snake? Yep. Yeah. Right. Plot of Metal Gear Solid. Okay. The president has visited, the president and his aides have gone to Alaska, well, to an Alaskan island called the Shadow Moses Island, um, where there basically is a big facility there where they're making, they're basically, uh, decommissioning nuclear warheads. And he's visiting to make sure it's all going around like a big publicity thing. Is the plot going to boil down to, are you a bad enough dude to save the president? Uh, in, well, no. No. Okay. Because no. I think he manages to get it. Basically, he, he, <laughs> I just, it, it's all sinking in now. All of it. Right. So there's that. And they're demanding, uh, they've got a nuke and they're going to basically execute the hostages. It's not, is it the president or is it, it might be the secretary of, defense or something like that but basically they're going to execute the hostages and they're going to launch a nuke um with this this new weapon they've basically got one of these these decommissioned nuclear warheads that hasn't been decommissioned yet and they're going to fire it at the white house unless the you know uh, the west gives into their demands and pays them 60 million dollars that's a lot of millions yep uh 60 million dollars and the remains of big boss <laughs> and so Snake. No is... one's bi- no one's biting at that hook, Jack. No, okay. Uh, so Solid Snake, the man from the first two games, is sent in to take out the bad guys, take out this this team, and save the day. So Solid Snake was called Solid Snake before Solid meant that the graphics were solid. Yes, Solid Snake was his code name. Okay. Right. To explain that, uh, see, this is what I mean. When there's so much to talk about. To, to explain that, he's from a unit called Foxhound, and the idea with Foxhound is that. Um, you have two parts to your code name. Your second name is an animal and is based around what's, that's sort of like your rank. And it's really weird and circuitous, but basically the, the one I remember is that snake is the highest and I think the second highest is fox. And yeah, basically there you go. That, that, that's sort of how the second bit goes. The, how high up the ranking is Ocelot? Ocelot's name is... Right, Ocelot picked his own name, I believe, because his name comes yeah. from a different... We'll, we'll get to that when we go to Metal Gear Solid 3. 
Um, it, he may have picked his own name, or he may have had something to do with choosing what the naming convention was for Foxhound. It's difficult to tell. How high up the ranking system is Octopus? Um, pretty high. How much more gin am I going to need to understand any of this? <laughs> Quite a bit. But, right, basically, the first part of your name designates your, well, your designation within the Foxhound unit. It's basically your, your job. So his job is solid. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why he's solid snake. <laughs> his job is to stand there and be really good at it. I think the idea is... If snake's the highest, then he must be the best at standing still. I think, I think the idea is, um... What's the word like? Um, I want to say loyalty, but things like uh, dependability. So he, solid, he, he, he's basically very dependable solid snake. He gets great. shit done. You, right. can, you can count on solid snake. That makes sense. Okay. But the, so if there were a liquid snake, you could count on him less. You could count on him less, but also liquid snake's name. I believe um, his whole thing is he is very adaptable. So solid is to do with loyalty when it's solid, yeah. but liquid is not to do with loyalty. It is to do with another property. The best thing to do is, is don't person. don't look at the first part of the name as being in reference to any other one, any other foxhound agent's first title. What was Big Boss's title? Naked Snake. Big Boss. No, no. When he was an agent in Fox <laughs> back in the sixties, he, he was, was naked. naked Snake. So he was one of the best at being naked. Essentially, yeah, he was the best at uh, procure um, missions, being dropped into enemy territory with no equipment. Yeah, procuring everything on site. Isn't that what you do as Solid Snake? Yes, but you're not as good. So, as, you're not as good as Naked Snake. But why would you not be a Naked Snake if that's what you're doing? There's already a Naked Snake, but there's not because you've just said his remains. His name? Yes, Big Boss. I did, didn't I? But besides, he's called Big Boss. The, I don't know if everyone gets given a different first name or something like that. <laughs> they're, they're not very clear on that. But essentially, your designation is your first part, and they'll bullshit a reason as to why you're, you're given that designation. It's a lot easier with the members of Foxhound that you fight in Metal Gear Solid. Do you know what they should have done? What's that? Is what the military actually do. Yeah? Random assignment. Oh, really? Because if you have rules mm -hmm. that you base these things on, the enemy can tell something about something by its codename. Yeah. By, uh, if you give it a completely random name, like, for example, Operation Buttercup, yep. it means nothing. So you can't tell anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense, but it doesn't give as much of a narrative. Nor does this. <laughs> no, it does when you start thinking, like, literally, like I said, with the, with the snakes, it's a bit confusing. With the fox, with the, the foxhound agents who have defected and taken over <laughs> Shadow Moses Island. <laughs> if we're getting this hung up on names, we'll be here for days. It's true. <laughs> right. So basically, yes, the terrorists have taken over are claiming to be former foxhound agents. Uh, well, basically, they are Liquid Snake, who was the leader of Foxhound before it all went to shit. Uh, Psycho Mantis, who is a, an interrogator and psychokinetic and telepath. See, that would give me just as much narrative if it was a randomly assigned name, because it means nothing. What, Psycho Mantis? Yes. He, he is Rank Mantis, and his special yes. is being... What is Rank Mantis? I don't know. Is Mantis more or less than Octopus? I don't know. You'll have to look at... You were just saying that random names are better. Because you don't know about them. You don't know about these names, and now you're complaining. Just listen. <laughs> he is Rank Mantis. His specialization is he's psychic. Sniper Wolf. Her rank is Wolf. Her specialization is she snipes things real good. Like, ridiculously good. Like, staying in place for days on end. Like a sniper does. Taking shitloads of diazepam. Ooh, like a sniper does. I like diazepam. Yeah. Um, Vulcan Raven. Rank. Yes. 
Yes, go on, tell me about Vulcan Raven. He's really big. He's an Indian. He's a, well, he's a... Native American. Native American from Alaska. <laughs> so he's an Eskimo, then? He's an Inuit. No. Inuit. No? Are you sure? Inuit. Yeah, he's an Inuit. I don't know if he's specifically an Inuit, because that's one tribe within... Because this is one of those weird things where we were always told as kids, Eskimo isn't the correct term. And it turns out that Eskimo is actually the correct term for Native peoples within a certain longitude of North... Uh, within a certain area of the North. And then there are separate tribes within there who, of whom the Inuit are one. Which again, very confusing and name-based, but yes, Inuit. Yes, because right. he talks about the Inuit Olympics. Right. The code name system. Just yep. found out how it works. Uh, a foxhound code name originally comprised an animal name and a preceding personal identifier to distinguish between those operatives named after the same animal. Often this identifier represented either the individual's weapon of choice or particular skill that they specialised in. Yeah. But sometimes these code names were more ambiguous in nature. The fox code name was awarded to operatives of great skill, as an example. Yeah. So grey fox. Yeah. Um. See. Uh. When Solid Snake joined, he was na- he was given the code name Solid Snake, obviously, uh, by the then commander Big Boss. Big Boss, who was aware of his true lineage, gave him the name Snake in reference to his old fox code name, Naked Snake. The designation of Solid was used as his personal identifier. Huh. Fair enough. There you go. And if he's from Canada, then he is, I believe, Inuit. I believe Yupik, which is the other significant group, yeah. are sort of central Alaskan and... No, he is He is Inuit. There you go, then. He is, yep, I'm just going to he is an Inuit shaman. Ah, here's another part to it as well. Sorry. Yep. Uh, after Campbell became Foxhound Commander, he abandoned the codename system, though some agents, at least Solid Snake, still chose uh, still chose their, to use their codenames. Sometime before 2005, a new codename system was implemented wherein the animal codename was also a personal identifier, uh, i.e. Ocelot, for example, yep. uh, used his longtime codename and added Revolver as his additional identifier. Because he fucking loves revolvers. Yes. The name Foxhound itself can be used to identify any member of the unit. So there we go. So within within the, within the universe, um, when Metal Gear Solid is around, the animal names are their personal identifier. Yeah. But I believe they also... Did they not also have something to do with rank as well? Because I remember like, in Metal Gear Solid 3, you can get the rank. You get your Foxhound rank at the end of the game, depending on how well you were, how well you did. And the highest yeah. you can get is Snake and Fox. Or... Well, it is at the moment. It's just that it's uh, just an identifier. Rather it's just than an identifier. Yeah. Okay, cool. Fair the enough. The game, the game thing was just something they did to give you a rank. Fair enough. How well it did. So, if it's a personal identifier, yep. Can you have multiple snakes simultaneously? You, that seems a problem. You can have multiple snakes, but then that's where you get the identifier from the beginning. So, solid snake, liquid snake, and so on. I see. Yes, that's well, why so, you need so, in, solid, in solid snake's name. Solid is his personal identifier. Yeah. And you know what? You know what's really, really weird? We're still on the easy-to-follow part of the plot of Metal Gear Solid. Can I just put that out there? Let's switch on the lights for the moment, Mike. Yes. Thank you. Right. There are, there are literal I think books, books and books and books yeah. of... Yeah, again, when I start doing my Metal Gear podcast, yeah. Yeah, this is back up, back up. Right. So, you go in. You've got to go and save... The arms tech president, who's the head of a weapons company that was there, and the DARPA chief. And, Simon, you know what DARPA stands for, don't you? Because it's... Oh, off the top of my head? Department of... I don't know. It's... 
Yeah, it's uh, it's not department. Oh, is it not? Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So it's like it's it's a tech monkey for yes. the Department of Defense. It's where they do things like at the moment they're building exoskeletons and things. Okay, cool. So it's, it's like research so it, it, it's the American Defense um, Q branch. Yes. Okay, cool. Because um, they they do cool things. Yeah, they're mostly they're with robots. Chief, their their man in charge is also being held hostage there. So you go and try and rescue him. He, you rescue him, he tells you a bunch of stuff, and then has a heart attack and dies. Then you go and rescue the arms tech president, and he has a heart attack and dies. Shortly after, you have a fight with Revolver Ocelot, and a robotic ninja turns up and cuts off Revolver Ocelot's hand. And now... So you have a fight with an ocelot, and then a robot turns up. A robot ninja? A robot ninja turns up. Who seems very familiar. Hello, Snake. And then the plot starts to get silly. Then the plot starts to get silly. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, cool. <laughs> you see, actually, for once, having Mike sound like he's vaguely in the background is marvellous, because he's coming across as the voice of our audience. <laughs> yeah, no, I've sat back on the sofa, I've got my gin, I've got some chocolate, I'm just going to listen to you talk for a while. <laughs> Okay, you then get in contact with a um, woman on the on the base, Meryl, who is the uh, well supposed to be the niece of your uh, commanding officer, um, and she helps you out. You fight Vulcan Raven, who is a big man in a tank. Uh, you find some, you find the, uh, the, the 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 warheads, and well, you fight a psychic floating man in a gimp suit. I'm starting to see why you like these games. Yeah, who reads your memory card. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that's loads of fun. And tells you how well you've done in the game so far, and and moves your controller with his mind! And you have to defeat him by taking your controller out and putting it into the other port. Which would really suck if your other port was broken. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, there are other ways to do it as well, um, but I never tried them. But there are, I think, three different ways you can beat him. Um, so yeah, and then... <sighs> it is one of the most fun sort of meta-character traits, though, that I've ever encountered in video gaming. What, Psychomantis? Yeah, the idea that you literally have to switch controllers because he's he sort of got your controller. Yeah. That's he, pretty cool. He can, he can read your mind, basically, is the idea. And it does, it does sort of work like that. When you're fighting him, he does seem to just keep disappearing just as you reach him, even if you sort of move in the... Ro- it, like, you just jump across the other side. He's just he's where you don't want him to be. Yeah. Um, and it's really difficult. Um Unless presumably use the other controller. Exactly, port. and then he's, he literally, as he's flying around and you hit him, he'll shout things like, I can't read you, and just scream, why, every time you hit him. And he just gets more and more frustrated. <laughs> as it's come up in the chat room. Yeah. Wireless controllers. Yeah. Um, well, there's things like, uh, if you had a rumble, if you had a normal controller, which, you know, sort of came with PlayStation at the time, nothing really happened. If you had a rumble controller, he said, place your controller on the ground, I will move it with my psychokinetic powers, and then your controller would rumble. And then you'd be like, ooh, now you're scared of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of an enemy who is only scary if you comply yeah. and put your weapon down for him. It came up really wonderfully he's scary. when he turns up as a, in a cameo in Metal Gear Solid 4 because he tries to read your memory card. There are no external memory cards in PlayStation 4s. There's the... PlayStation the, 3s. Play, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the PlayStation 4 isn't out Sorry, yet. you know what I mean. PlayStation 3. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 4 on the PlayStation 3. This is where I was getting confused and getting all wound up. Because you've got the, the memory, well, the, like the little tiny memory chip thing, what is it? It's still called a memory card, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But it's not like the, the external ones that you used to have on the PlayStation and PlayStation 2. 
No. So he tries to read it and can't. Then he tries to have a hard disk. Then he tries to move your controller and can't because the first uh, PlayStation 3 controllers had no rumble feature and just gets really, really, really frustrated and disappears. And apparently, and I've not seen this, but there is a, there is a thing that, uh, if you have one of the newer rumble capable PlayStation 3 controllers, they did program in a bit of uh, dialogue for him, which is basically him say, you know, he moves your controller and then says rumble is back and then disappears. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah Psycho Mantis has always been my favourite villain in these games. Um, so yeah, and then it turns out, long story short, terrorists aren't actually looking for any money. They just want Big Boss's remains because the, there is a terrible disease going around that's killing them all off and rendering their genome soldiers uh, vulnerable. And the cure is in Big Boss's corpse. And it turns out that the head of these guys, Liquid Snake, is actually your brother, your Clone brother, because you were both cloned from Big Boss. Now, you see, this is where the plot parallels the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie, so you know its quality. Oh, yeah. Um, with things like uh, Snake got all the dominant genes and Liquid Snake got all the recessive genes. Because that's how that works. That's how that works. And something that they, they both got um, implanted into different people. Snake was implanted into a Japanese woman. Uh, sorry, Solid Snake was implanted into a Japanese woman. Liquid Snake was implanted into a British woman. Um, if you're looking, like, Liquid Snake literally just seems like your, your basic megalomaniacal psychopath who's angry because of some nonsensical reason to do with genetics. Um, but if you look into the, the, the backstory and stuff, which has never really gone into in the game, it's all like, if you go into the, the, Codec conversations, you actually find out about his past, which is all optional stuff. You actually find out why he's a little bit unhinged. Um, and it's got, he, you, basically he was in the SAS and basically got left behind on a mission because he fucked something up and so was tortured for like two years. Um, and then ended up busting out. And apparently there's, there's a thing where basically if you are captured, if you're ever a prisoner of war, you're not allowed to, there's a certain place in, in, um, either SAS or British intelligence locations you're never allowed to go i don't know if that's a thing that's like made up or possibly actual real i don't know but basically that this is reading is like literally he was tortured for years and years and years and literally when he came out of it his own country went oh nope sorry you, we're not gonna like recognize you anymore so kind of interesting yeah he, he kind of lost his shit a little bit just a little um and he's also very angry with you because you killed big boss and he wanted to kill big boss but yeah, that, that's another little random mini thing there. And so he shows, and he tricks you into starting the giant robot Metal Gear, Metal Gear Rex. Um, the and best gonna, Metal Gear. The best. Well, yeah, okay. Come the best on. One. Yeah, yeah, Metal <laughs> Gear Rex. Um, and so you have to fight and defeat him. And you do. And then you've got to escape. Oh, yeah. And then you've got to escape with either the head scientist of the Metal Gear, um, research and development team or Meryl, the kick-ass love interest, depending on a particular choice you made in the game. Mm. Um, and then you escape, because basically, like, apparently the, uh, is it Secretary, it's Secretary of Defense in America, isn't it? Yeah, it's not like Minister or anything. Secretary of Defense decides he's going to bomb the shit out of Shadow Moses Island to basically cover everything up. Then it turns, That seems rational. Yeah. Then it turns out he gets arrested for basically being a crazy bugger. Um, and you live happily ever after, and the credits roll. And after the credits roll, you have a one-sided conversation with Revolver Ocelot, the one member of Foxhound that you didn't kill. Who only lost their hand to a robotic ninja. Yes. That robotic ninja turns out to be Grey Fox, by the way, the guy that you were sent in to save in Metal Gear 1. 
Um, and yes, it's him speaking and saying, yep, no one, no one knows anything. Yep. Okay. No, everything's been destroyed. Uh, all the, de- the test data from Metal Gear, we've got that. Uh, yeah, all along Liquid thought he was the, the, uh, the one with all the, the the recessive genes, but actually he was the dominant one. Oh, lol, 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 lol. Um, because that's how that works. Yeah, and then it's like, and, and then he basically just says, "Yes, it's been very nice working with you. I I hope you're well, Mister President." Dun 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 dun. And then the game ends. What? Yeah, he uh, Revolver Slot was a double agent working for the president. Didn't see uh, that coming. I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'll admit I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Of all the logical and rational directions that could have gone in, that was not one I'd predicted. Yeah. So, Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> yes, do go on. Oh, I also forgot to mention, all those heart attacks that everyone kept dropping dead of, it's because they've all been infected with the disease that is completely inert unless Solid Snake comes near them, in which case it gives them a heart attack. Because that's how that works. Yep. It's basically, he's a carrier of like, it's, it's all to do with their um, nano biomechanics. Everyone has nano machines inside them in this timeline. Okay, that that's and it's a disease that fucks. That's with your, the thing I can accept. Yeah, it's it's a disease that basically fucks with your uh, nano machines and kills you. So it's it's half computer virus. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, which also comes up in Metal Gear Solid Two when there is a computer virus which mimics fox die, which is the virus that kills people. Yeah. Right. Metal Gear Solid Two. Only on two. Yeah, we're on two. Don't worry, <laughs> yeah, end on four. So you know, and we've got what. Yeah, we're halfway through. We're, we're going to go to four, and we've done three games so far, and we've got three left. There we go. Once again, I feel like Mike speaks for our audience. Yeah. Sorry, um, carry on. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 2. You start off, you are Solid Snake, and you are now working for a non-profit organization dedicated to going around the world and basically destroying Metal Gears, because basically the data for, Me- for Metal Gear Rex was leaked, so now pretty much Every organization in the world with enough money can build their own bipedal nuclear death tank. Yep. So much like real life, then. Pretty much. And Snake's part of a group called Philanthropy, uh, who basically go around the world and blow up Metal Gears and steal all the data. So basically trying to stop Metal Gears from happening. And he goes onto a ship, which is supposed to have the Marine Corps' own Metal Gear aboard. Um, and he's supposed to not destroy it, but take photos of it to prove that the Marines are basically building a Metal Gear. Because apparently they said they wouldn't. Like, the, the, the United States has signed a thing where they're, like, doing a whole non-Metal Gear proliferation thing. So are you with me so far? Yeah. Yes, Metal Gears are literally a stand-in for nukes in a story about proliferation and yeah, disarmament. Which, considering they are weapons that are designed to fire nukes from anywhere in the world, yeah, it's like... it's It makes sense. Yeah. And you get aboard, you find the Metal Gear, you take photos, you come across, like, the most ridiculously detailed game. One of the most ridiculously detailed games ever. Like, uh, I may, may have mentioned this on the last episode, I'm not entirely sure, but the things that Hideo Kojima went into, like, um, there's a, you, you go to the bar on board the ship, and there is a bucket of ice with a, with a champagne bottle in it. You can shoot the bottle of ice and knock it over, and the ice scatters over the, uh, the bar, and slowly melts. That is pretty cool. Yeah, at no other point in the game is there any melting ice. Hideo Kojima basically went to some guy doing coding and so that for the game and went, can you make it so we can have like a slowly melting ice thing for a random point in the tutorial mission that you don't have to do and in fact you can completely miss by not going anywhere near the bar, which is not a place you have to go unless you're potentially hiding out. That is pretty cool. Uh, one thing I missed I've, I've like, got to give them credit. That attention yeah. to detail. Uh, one thing that like, is in not the common. in the first game as well. In, sorry, in Metal Gear Solid, in the first Metal Gear Solid game, um, 
I've never actually checked this out, but the, room, the, the thing is that Hideo Kojima says that every single desk in that game, with the computer, you know, the office desk and all that, is unique. Like, no two desks in that game have the same layout of, like, you know, paperwork and computer and all that sort of stuff. No copy pasta. Yeah. Because he basically said it would look, it would really take you out of the game if everything looked like it had just been copied and pasted. Which is one of the first things you notice in an environment yeah. like that when it he has said, been done. He said players would pick up on that right away, so I want it to, I want every uh, desk to look different. So the next time someone plays Metal Gear Solid, take a look, see if that's true. So again, I've not actually checked that. Um, it would be a peculiar lie, but he is insane. Yeah, he is crazy. Metal Gear Solid 2 is the one that basically made Metal Gear Solid look sane. Um, and basically, when you're taking photos of this giant Metal Gear, Russians attack, and Revolver Russellot is in charge, and he's got two hands! <gasps> and as he's basically... But he had one! Yeah! And as he's gunning down, like, Russians and Marines with equal abandon, and stealing Metal Gear, Metal Gear Ray this time, which is the Marines one, which is specifically designed to hunt down and kill Metal Gears, which probably explains why Snake isn't destroying it, rather than just, you know, taking photos. Um, basically, whilst uh, Revolver, Revolver Ocelot is talking about this, he starts wigging out, clutching at his hand, shouting, No, Liquid, no! And then he starts speaking with the voice of Cam Clark, the voice actor for Liquid Snake. And he is Liquid Snake in the body of Revolver Ocelot. Because that and makes a bit sense. of his own body. I live on through this arm! <laughs> yeah. And then he steals Metal Gear and bounces away, and the whole ship sinks. Flash forward! Why does the ship sink? Eh? Why does the ship sink? Uh, because Metal uh, Gear cause... Ray was being held in the bowels of the ship, and he literally just punches a hole in the, in the side of the wall and escapes. Yeah. Okay, no, so that's a perfectly valid yeah, explanation. Right below the waterline. Um, fast forward two years to 2009. And basically, uh, in Manhattan, because that's where the ship sank... So this is a historical game? It is, yeah. Well, it came out, what, 2001? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but now it's too... Yeah, obviously. Um... Never set your games in the very near well, future. That's sort of a thing with Metal Gear Solid games, is that they are, it, it's set in what the trope is called five minutes into the future. Yes, but and I, I know if it, you're going to do that, yeah. you set it five minutes into the future. Yeah, but even when they were like making you, this thing is you like... You caption it years from now. Yeah, but the thing is, it's always designed to be looking like when the game was made with a few crazy technological perks. So mm. yeah, it's like... Oh, you know, you look at it and go, okay, these are special forces guys, so obviously they've got some better tech than we might, that we might not know about, but this is silly. So a couple of years in the future. But I mean, yeah, now looking at it, a bit silly. But basically, the tanker that had the, that had Metal Gear Ray on it was covered up and so they said, oh, it's an oil tanker. And then they put a big, um, cleanup facility over it. And yeah, uh, basically that's, that's, that's what happened for two years. They basically had to clean up this oil from this tanker that exploded. When Solid Snake, a terrorist, blew it up. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Because they found Solid Snake cause terrorist. Because someone took a photo of Snake when he was on the tanker in that in that tutorial mission, and then the tanker sank. Is this our first appropriate moment of the night to go? Huh? Huh? Metal Gear. <laughs> and now you are Snake, but not Solid Snake. Which Snake? Yeah. Well, you just called Snake. He just says this is Snake, and he wears a, like a, a, a rebreather mask, and he's got long blonde hair. And he looks like he weighs about a hundred pounds less than Solid Snake. He is thin as a breeze. Yep. And then basically you get a, get onto the uh, onto Big Shell, which is this cleanup facility, because the president was visiting and he's been kidnapped. Stop sending your world leaders to these places, along with his aides, and they've all been kidnapped by a terrorist organization headed by Solid Snake. Well, a man claiming to be Solid Snake, anyway. 
Rasmus. Probably revolve a lot with a liquid snake arm. Yeah. Well, you think so. And then basically, I do. Yeah, you, you get onto the uh, onto Big Shell, and then your commanding officer, Roy Campbell, from Metal Gear Solid 1, goes, Yeah, this is probably a really bad idea to call you Snake if the head of the terrorist is called Solid Snake, so uh, we're going to call you Raiden. Which is like Snake, but different enough well, so as not to it, be connected. It does come up later as to why Raiden. Um, well, actually, it's pretty easy to say. Um, basically, his, ne- his real name is, well, his, the name he's known by to his girlfriend is Jack. And in World War II, the Japanese had a fighter plane called a Raiden, and the, apparently the American pilots nicknamed it the Jack. That's the, the, the link there. And basically, this is your first field mission. Your first field mission is to go and save the president. Fair enough. Uh, but you are... That seems like a good sort of, you know... Cut your teeth. Way to get your feet wet. Yeah. Well, basically, you're part of what's called the Force 21 trials. So basically, Raiden is the best in the world at video game training missions. Right. He's trained in virtual reality worlds, and he's the like the, the world record setter for, you know, virtual reality missions. So seeing as this is a virtual reality, he's the obvious choice. Yeah. And so they get said it. And yeah, as uh, puts out in the uh, in the chat room there, there was a whole bait and switch thing where they said, yeah, look, you get to play a snake, and they released the demo, which was the entire tanker chapter. And then that's the intro, the tutorial, and then for the rest of the game, you play as Raiden, which made a lot of people really angry. But again, I could go into a massive, long essay thing about how this all works out, but I'll save that for the, the inevitable Metal Gear podcast. Um, <laughs> and basically, you go off and you find that the terrorist organization is used to be an anti-terrorist organization, and they're called Dead Cell. And they... Oh, dear. Dead Cell. I'll put it this way. There's Vamp, who is a super agile knife-throwing man who can pin you in place by stabbing your shadow, and also he's a vampire and immortal. Wait, what? Yes. Um, there's Fortune, who is a thoroughly depressed woman in a swimsuit carrying a railgun who is immune to bullets. Wait, what? Well, I say, I mean, basically bullets, like, they come near her and then they streak away and they go around like she's got a big force field around her and grenades that fall at her feet and just, come, they just fizzle away and don't explode. Yeah, she has a field of, like, not she, has a, she basically has, has a field of nope. She has a field of good fortune. Yeah, exactly. She's exactly, yeah. Which, and, she, and she really wants to die, but she can't. And this is perfectly raised in the Hymn Daisy comic, which I really suggest everyone goes out and read. Is Fortune basically weeping and going, I just want to die, but bullets can't hurt me. And then it's just Raiden going, so why don't you kill yourself some other way? You, you, you don't have to get shot. Like, gas yourself. Yeah. There are, fall from a great height. There are other ways to die. And yeah, Dead Cell could be multiple things, but sort of at face value here. And then, uh, where well, you've got Vamp, Fortune, Fat Man... <laughs> Because I'm Fat Man! Fat Man is a fat man on roller skates with perfectly manicured fingers with a love of martinis and he's a mad bomber. <laughs> I'm starting to think yep. that Hideo Kojima needs to uh, Have conform to the stop one sentence earlier <laughs> rule. <laughs> so Fortune is a depressed woman with a railgun. Right. That's not bad. Fortune is a depressed woman <laughs> with a railgun in a swimsuit. Yep. Yeah, you should have stopped a sentence earlier. Yeah. Fat man is a fat man. Fine. <laughs> fat man is a fat man on roller skates. Uh, roller skates. Yep. Should have stopped a little earlier. <laughs> yep. But basically, he's a mad bomber, and that does lead to quite a fun part of the game where you're literally going around the big shell trying to defuse the bombs that he set up to try and blow up the struts. And along this mission to go and rescue the president and defeat Dead Cell, you meet a man called Iroquois Pliskin. What? Yes. Who is voiced? What? Who is voiced by David Hater, voice of Solid Snake, and also he looks like Solid Snake. 
That's totally not snake. Uh, yeah, and he's he's a Navy SEAL. He's totally a Navy SEAL. So, Snake Pliskin. Yeah, Iroquois Pliskin. He's not Snake. He's not Solid Snake. Why would you think he's Solid Snake? I didn't think he's Solid Snake. Oh, okay. I think you said he sounded exactly like Snake and was called Pliskin. Yeah. He's, and therefore he, he's Snake he, he sounds like Snake. He's identical to... He sounds like Solid Snake. He's identical to Solid Snake and he's called Iroquois Pliskin. Yeah. Oh, so he, Snake yeah. Pliskin. And basically things go to shit. You find the president and it turns out that... Oh god, that, that that whole plot line. Basically, he tells you that the, the the country is being run by a secret organization. I'm not going to go into any more detail on the Patriots than that because seriously, that is days of explanation there. And then he basically says, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, I told the bad guys how to uh, arm this super weapon um, because I'm tired of being a puppet being ruled by this evil organization. So now, please shoot me." And then Revolver Ocelot shoots him. And then you find out that the right the big shell, this oil cleanup facility, right? Yes. Obviously, it's not cleaning up any oil because, as we all know, the tanker was not full of oil. It was full of Metal Gear and Marines, and they don't take very long to clear up, especially when the Metal Gear fucked off. So it turns out Marines were still on the boat when that happened, though. Yeah. So it turns out that this giant big shell is actually a facade. And it is actually housing, well, not even housing, it is essentially the new Metal Gear. I am shocked and appalled that something called Big Shell would turn out to be only (laughs) a shell. A big shell, if you will. And it turns out the Metal Gear is beneath the waves, which is the new Metal Gear, and it's going to blow up information. That's about the clearest thing. Wait, what? That is honestly the clearest I can be. It's going to do what? It's going to blow up information. That is, there's an AI that's become <laughs> self-aware and it doesn't like the internet. And uh, <laughs> that, when when your voice is make, <laughs> when your voice is doing the thing that my face is doing that nobody can see, <laughs> yeah. then oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to destroy information. Sorry, blow up information. That, that is about the clearest I can be. It's it's not obviously not that stupid and clear. Well, it's it is pretty much that stupid. Is that the clearest you can be? Because a, yep, it's actually super complicated and would take too long to explain. Yep. B, yep, it's too spoilery to explain. Hardly. Or C, you don't know. No, it is. It's equal parts A and B. Uh, gotcha. I'm not really that worried about spoilers because. I think we've sort of done this whole thing on on World One Stage One, which is spoilers are going to happen. Um, you will spoil the shit out of it. Yeah, to give to give a slightly bigger thing, basically, um, Arsenal Gear is being run by the Patriots, and they want, which is the evil organization that essentially runs the world, the Illuminati. Did you say Arsenal Gear? Yes. Arsenal. Yes. Okay. Sorry, it's just that conjures up a very different image for me because I was on the tube the other day. On an Arsenal match day. Oh dear! So I saw a lot of people in Arsenal gear. Uh, <laughs> in Arsenal gear. <laughs> that would make it completely different and terrifying. Yeah. Basically, the the plan is that basically it's being run by the Patriots, and the Patriots are essentially the Illuminati, and they used to be able to uh, control the world of information because they basically got to blot out and censor anything they didn't like. But with the internet rolling around, any jock with a camera phone or laptop can basically find something out and post it up on the internet and take photos of stuff and post it up. 
And, and all they had to do was wait a couple of years for David Cameron to come along and solve that for them. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So, and they're not happy that they're not able to regulate the flow of information. Cool. So they've basically got together and made Arsenal Gear, and Arsenal Gear is going to basically become the new internet after it like airbursts a new cover. It's what? It's something to do with internet. Again, I've lost you, but again, there's so much more to it, and I'm trying to like pan out that explanation in a way that makes sense. But let's right, basically say. Arsenal Gear is designed to basically cut off any information that the world has now and become the new source of information for the world. Okay? Okay. This is, in my head, yep. directly parallel to the internet on the IT crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this. It's a box yep. with an on-off switch yep. that you're told, don't turn off, because it's the internet. <laughs> It's not quite a, it's not quite a box with an on-off switch. The plan does involve airbursting a nuke over Manhattan, but um it's still one thing that is yeah. trying to represent itself as the internet. Well, it's a giant mobile battle fortress that's going to go around the world. It's for one a... thing. So, yeah, this, this like is... the internet. Yeah, the giant mobile battle fortress. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that well-known bipedal robot, the internet. Oh no, Arsenal Gear is not a bipedal robot. It is basically like what? Arsenal Gear is not a bipedal robot. No. Okay, how many legs does it have? None. What? It's a giant submersible marine craft. Oh, then it is just like the internet. <laughs> but it's more like... it's. Imagine if you crossed a whale, a castle, and a Gundam. Yeah, the internet. So oh, just like we, the internet. We yeah. understand the internet. So Carry do on. you see why I started with it wants to blow up information and then wanted to move on from there? No! Uh, <laughs> anyway! You put a virus into Arsenal gear to stop it from working. Then your commanding officer starts to go crazy, and it turns out that he was actually part of Arsenal gear, feeding you information and guiding you along. And this whole thing was actually a plot by the Patriots to try and create the perfect soldier, only it wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't the plan, or it wasn't perfect? Yes. Okay. And then Ocelot goes crazy, steals Metal Gear Ray whilst turning into Liquid Snake again. Right, seeing as Ocelot keeps going crazy and stealing Metal Gears... Yep. Why have you not killed Ocelot at this point? Really hard to, because again, at this point, he then has the same thing that Fortune has, and you can't shoot him with bullets in the ending of Metal Gear Solid 2. I don't think that comes up at any there other time ever. There are other ways to kill. Yes, but not at that particular cutscene. And then he's in a giant armored <laughs> robot. Right. Yeah. And okay. then Arsenal Gear crashes into Manhattan, and you fight Solidus, who is the guy that was pretending to be Solid Snake, because it turns out Iroquois was actually Solid Snake. And you amaze me. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then you fight Solidus on top of... Oh, what's the name of the build? I'm trying to think. There's a, a big building in... I'm going to say it. It's a big building in New York with the statue of... I was going to say there's quite a few of those. Um, I want to say, say Capitol Hall, City Hall. But City Hall's like a big generic thing, isn't it, in every city? What does it look like? It's a massive building with a big um, bronze statue of um, George Washington at the front of it. I imagine there's a few of those yeah, in New York it, as well. I, I want to say... Capitol Hall or something like that. Tell you what, I will very quickly look. If you guys have any questions, please let me know. <laughs> I have several. Okay. Federal Hall. Okay. Federal Hall. There we go. And then you beat him, and then it turns out it was all real. Or was it? And then the credits roll. Federal Hall isn't that big a building. No, but you fight on top of it. It's quite a small building in New York. Yeah? It's big enough to have a sword fight on, though, right? On the roof. Oh yeah, you could definitely have a sword fight on it. But when you said big building, I was thinking like Chrysler building. It's bigger than my Empire room. State. Uh, and then the big reveal comes after the the, the credits that the uh, that they found the list of the Patriots, and it turns out one of them has been paying 
Solid Snake and Oticon, his his um, best buddy, crony, henchman, ner- tech nerd, uh, in their philanthropy missions. And it also turns out that they're all already dead. So this is lost? Well, this is the thing is, they think, what, so Revolver Ocelot got to them? It's like, no, they've been dead for like about a hundred years. And that's the end of Metal Gear Solid 2. If we could uh, direct more time to that, I would love to. Because <laughs> honestly, it's one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite Metal Gear game. So, um, is is there any way that I can send you pictures of all of the faces I'm pulling, and we can <laughs> add those? Because <laughs> words fail me. Yeah, do you know there is a way. If you could send me enough photographs and the time codes, I could do it so that the album art of the podcast changed as the podcast was going along to Mike's <laughs> current reaction. <laughs> all right, we'll do that. We'll do that later. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3. Yes. Which is, which is game chronology, the first Metal Gear game. It is, it is the earliest set. It is set in 1964. So it's a prequel. It is a prequel. And you play as Big Boss. That makes sense if yeah. it's a prequel. Exactly. Only back then you were Snake. You were in fact Naked Snake. A specialist, uh, agent who, uh, used to be in the, what was, was it the OSS before the uh, CIA? I'm um, just caught up in Venture Brothers now. Yeah, that's the OSS. OSS, okay. He used to be in the OSS and basically um, was trained by a legendary warrior called The Boss. So legendary. So legendary. Um, and you've got to go into Russia because there is a nuclear scientist called Sokolov. Mm-hmm who is developing a giant super tank that can launch a nuke from anywhere it goes. It's a multiped tank this time. Okay. So this is the forerunner of the Metal Gear. It is. Uh, although you meet the guy who who designs the Metal Gear. Basically, you meet a guy who says that uh, a, a tank is rubbish, it needs legs so it can move places, so everyone should buy his Metal Gear idea. Metal Gear! But it's said to go with the Shagohod, which is uh, Sokolov's idea, which isn't really... It's, it looks multi-ped, but everything has sort of tracks underneath it, so it's sort of positional tracks, if you know what I mean. I'm, I can't really describe it that well. It, it's tracks... I think I that, know what... I, yeah. I know what you mean. It's like how the Tachikomas are multi-peds, but they have wheels. Yeah, um, except they're like... They're big, blocky tracks that can sort of be lifted up and re-manoeuvred. Yep, I, yeah. I can get that. Um, so it sort of looks a bit like a giant evil crab. I'm a crab. Giant enemy crab? Yeah. Um, crab have a weak battle. spot that you can hit for massive damage. Crab battle. And you've got to go in and save Sokolov because he wants to defect to the United States because it's the middle of the Cold War. Um, and you go in and you rescue him and you fight Ocelot back when he was a young, stunningly pretty man um, who does not fight with a revolver. He fights with... I honestly don't know the, the name of the make of the specific gun, but it's like a basic sort of handgun, 9mm whatever. I want to say Beretta, but that's not it. Um, and Naked Snake tells him, ah, basically, again, quoting him Daisy here, maybe if you had a revolver, you'd suck less. Oh. <laughs> um, and then you, like, you save Sokolov, you start heading back to the drop zone so you can get away, and you're stopped by the evil guy who's in charge of the whole thing, Volgin, aka Thunderbolt who is a giant Russian man with burn marks all over his body and the ability to create ten kajillion gigawatts of lightning from his body. That's a lot of lightning. That's a lot of lightning. It also helps him to shoot bullets out of his hand. Mm. 
And he's basically convinced the boss, your your mentor, to defect to uh, the Soviet Union, and she brings him nukes. And they beat the shit out of you, they throw you off a bridge, and whilst they're flying away, Volgin fires a nuke at the research facility and blows it up. Then the cre- the opening credits roll. And so it's, uh, it's a couple of weeks later after you, you're still recovering with your broken ribs um, and broken hand and broken face and complete depression from watching your mentor defect to the Soviet Union. Uh, and it turns out the US is being blamed for nuking Russia. And they're like, no, 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 it wasn't us. Uh, uh, oh, how do we how do we prove it wasn't us? And the premier of the Soviet Union convinces you to go and kill the boss. I have a slight plot point here. Yep. Height of the Cold War. Yep. Nuke- if the Americans were being blamed for nuking Russia, yep. the world would be over. Yep. Okay. Um, but basically, you, you, there's like a, a phone conversation between the two, and they're like, no, seriously, it wasn't us. One of our agents has gone rogue. It's not an action of the US military. It's not an action of the US government. It is the action of a rogue psychopath. Um, we'll prove it to you. We'll send someone in to kill this person. They do not speak for us, etc., etc. don't remember the paranoia of the Cold War being that there was mutually assured destruction unless one side assured the other that they didn't do it on a phone call. Yeah, well, I think the... the oh, I'm trying to think, because it's the... It was... Uh, which president... Which Russian premier was it? Because um, this was just after the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's pretty much when they would have just nuked them. Yeah. Um, and it was literally, I think it was the premier that took over just after that. So the one that basically like a case of, okay, we really don't want this to happen before, um, Brezhnev took over and Brezhnev being the slightly more angry one. Um, but anyway, basically, regardless of sort of like the craziness of the, the these sort of happenstances, you're dropped back into it's, it's also not the most unlikely thing that has happened in this series of games so far. Or will happen. Uh, so again, Naked Snake is dropped into the Russian jungle and you've got to go and kill your mentor, the boss, and also destroy the Shagohard, and also rescue Sokolov. And you do that whilst fighting the Cobras, which is a, an elite team raised by the boss, and they basically ended World War II. Yeah. Yep. Did they do it with nukes? No, they, they, they did it by being super cool secret agents. With specialist, with specialist abilities. Yes. Specialist abilities. So, Simon and Mike, are you ready? Let's get ready to make faces. Okay. <laughs> first, Go first. Oh, God, up. this again. Yeah. First up, the pain. Hold on. I'm getting my camera ready. Okay. The pain. <laughs> ready? Ready. The pain is a big man in combat gear whose body is a hive and he can control and shoot bees out of his mouth. I've already heard of him, so my reaction is muted that, by that familiarity. Sounds, that sounds cool because bees. Yep, bees. So that's actually quite a good one. Okay. Also, it could potentially, especially with it being in the 60s, be a sort of tie-in with Bioshock. Oh, yeah! Bees! And he shoots bullet bees that eat your flesh. Um, Bikini! Bees! And he also forms Tommy guns and grenades out of bees and shoots bees at you with his bee gun. There it is. There it is. There's yeah, the previously there unknown information that's going to make me angry. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's a proper spaced-out face. It's just like, there is no god. <laughs> Um, right. The, uh, the fear, who, funnily enough, is voiced by voice actor Michael Bell. Yay! Um, the fear, who can turn invisible, has double jointed elbows and knees that allow him to climb trees backwards, and he has poison tree frog coated, uh, venomed arrows on a crossbow launcher attached to his wrist. Okay, that was not so okay, bad. That's... 
And it, yeah. That's okay. Uh, he likes hanging people upside down from trees. He's basically like the predator. Uh, he's basically predator. But climbs trees backwards. Imagine predator, but like a really tall, thin guy with like uh fucking Mister Incredible, not Mister Incredible, um Mister Fantastic hair. Reed Richards hair, the sort of white streaks at the side. Okay. Uh, that, that seems not the most ridiculous. Yep. The end. Okay. The end. <laughs> the end is a one hundred and fifty-year-old man who is half man, half tree, who invented sniping and is uh, keeps himself alive through photosynthesis and sleeping for large portions of his life so that he can die in glorious battle and has a pet parrot. Yes. I didn't know about the parrot. Yeah. I did know about this character because I've seen this boss fight. Yeah. There are multiple ways to... It's the most boring thing I've ever watched. Well, the thing is, there are multiple it's, ways... It's not a spectator sport. There, there are multiple ways to kill the end. You will touch my parrot... You can basic. You can have a long sniper fight with him. You will lose because he's the best sniper in the world. Yep. You can sneak around the and map. A tree. You can sneak around the map uh, looking for him and then shoot him in the back with a shotgun when he falls asleep. That's what the guy I was watching was trying to do. Yep. You can kill him in a cutscene right near the beginning of the game. Yep. Yeah. Basically, he gets brought out in a wheelchair during a cutscene. To like someone say some things, and then the cutscene ends, and the guard who brought him out starts to wheel him back indoors, but he's still there. So what you can do is get out your gun, shoot the guard. The end then wakes up and starts frantically wheelchairing his way into the building, and you can shoot and kill him. And at which point he explodes, and his wheelchair sails through the air and lands on you. Okay. Or there is a different way to kill him. You can get into the fight with the end, save the game. And turn the PlayStation off. Come back a week later. And if you leave the game for a week and come back, you'll be greeted with a codec message saying, Oh, whilst you were away, the end died of old age. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so that's the end. So he's oh, a week away from done. dying of old age. Yeah. But oh. still more than capable of taking you in a sniper duel. Yeah. Because he's part tree. He photosynthesizes. So why is he dying of old age then? Um, because he hasn't got much life left in him. He sleeps most of it. He sort of like hibernates or goes like pseudo dead. Shut up and make sense. On. Yeah, moving on. Uh, the Fury was actually the first man in space. Oh god, I was hoping the end was the end. No, no, the end is the middle one. Oh. The Fury, who, um, yeah, he was the first man in space. He's a Soviet cosmonaut. But everything went horribly wrong, so the Soviet Union tried to cover it up. And I've always had a major problem with that. Because, like, even if things had fucked up, I'm fairly certain they would have been going, ha ha ha, we got the first man in space. Because yes. didn't they, like, you know, with uh, Yuri Gagarin, uh, didn't they, like, show everything from him going up and all that? Yeah, start pretty much. Finish? So yeah, he was like the test thing to see whether they could put a man in space, and then he came down and he burned up in re-entry, and now he's a big bubbling mass of flesh in a giant cosmonaut suit with a jetpack and a flamethrower. Sounds cool, actually. That's the Fury. That works. I like that. This is literally all you really find out about it. He doesn't have like a big backstory. He was the first man in space, but they discredited him, so he feels really angry, and now he's going to set the world on fire. And he wants to set the world on fire. That actually seems like a sensible motivation, considering everything else you've just said in the last 20 minutes. (laughs) That is actually probably the most sane character so far. <laughs> and then there's the Psychomantis battle of the evening. The Sorrow. The Sorrow was a member of the Cobras during you know, World War II when they took people down. He was a Soviet soldier who was a medium. He could talk to the spirits of the dead, which 
in a world where that is actually like can happen would be kind of a useful thing to have on a battlefield because you could go and talk to dead soldiers and get information out of them. That is true. Then uh, he had a mission where, well, basically the, the, the Cobra split up and, oh, by the way, he also was dating the boss. Okay. And they had a baby. Yeah. And the boss gave birth on um, the beaches of Normandy. On D-Day. Less okay. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that child was Robert Ocelot. Spoiler. Um, right. So the Sorrow basically was a medium, and he had, they all split up, and then basically he had a mission that was, uh, and the boss had a mission, and they were basically on opposite sides from each other. Ah. So the boss killed him. And this was like 20 years before, well, it was about 10 years before uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 takes place. So you fight the Sorrow. 10 years ago, he was killed. And it is one of the weirdest fight scenes with a boss you'll ever have. Because basically, you can't, you have no weaponry, you have no equipment, save for a fake death pill, and you walk up a river towards the Sorrow, who's just sort of twitching creepily with this horrifying music playing, and he's just constantly saying things at you about basically being sad. And down the river, towards you, come the ghosts of every single person that you've killed in the game. So, if you've been running through the game firing shotguns wildly into the faces of guards. This is a really long, difficult boss fight. Or do it, you have to beat up the ghosts? No, you have to avoid them. If they touch you, they drain your health and you can't do anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so this is very much a reward for people who are doing stealth plays. Yeah, either knocking people out um, or just plain old avoiding them. The weird thing with this game is that literally, like, what you do to people reflects their ghost. So literally, if you, like, slit someone's throat, their ghost will be walking all around with their head hanging off. Um, if you, like, threw someone off a cliff on the, on the mountains, they'll be being pecked at by vultures. Um, uh, there are people like, if you, cause there is what you can shoot someone in the crotch if you're a particularly sadistic person. And they will be, um, they, their ghost will be walking around, clutching at their crotch, shouting, I'm useless now. <laughs> and then you get to the end of the river and you die. Hooray! Game over. Just- but you can still access your inventory. And this, seriously, this it's like the whole fucking second controller port thing. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Because it said, you have died. Game over. And it even did that thing with Metal Gear Solid 3, because it's set in 64 before everything else happens. If you die, the word uh, you died slowly ticks over and becomes the word time paradox in Metal Gear Solid 3. Which I thought was pretty cool. That's a nice little touch. Um, then basically, yeah, you die, but you can still access your inventory. And one of the pieces of equipment you have is a fake death pill. And another piece of equipment you have alongside that is the sort of the cap in your tooth for waking you up from the sort of fake, the, the fake death induced coma. So you can make it look like you're dead and then you can quote unquote revive yourself. And you still have that revival pill and you can use that. And suddenly everything goes whoop, 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 and you wake up in a river and you're alive and everything isn't gray and scary and there are no ghosts anywhere. And it turns out you were just wigging out whilst slowly drowning. Okay. And that's right. the sorrow. That does actually sound like a pretty cool scene. It yeah. is really, really clever, really well done, and uh, the Sorrow is probably my favourite member of the Cobras. That sounds okay. And then, basically, the plot kicks in, you have to go and defeat the Shagahard, um, you've got to defeat Volgin by dressing up as his boyfriend slash peer slash I don't know what, who happens to be identical to Raiden from Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah. As a weird in Rykov, isn't he? He's called Ma- Major Raiden- uh, Ivan Raidenovich Rykov. Um, and it's. Raidenovich. Yeah. It's, it's Raiden in a Soviet uniform, and you can beat him, and you just happen to have a Rykov mask. 
and you can beat him up, take his uniform, convenient. put the mask on. It's supposed to be there from like a, a mission that never went ahead, apparently, but yeah, it's a bit weird. And then you put the mask on, you pretend to be Rykov, and then you go and find Volgin to go and save uh, Sokolov, and Volgin's like, no, wait, you're not, right, you're not, um, you're not the major, because he grabs your balls. <laughs> he grabs your crotch. I know my crutches. I know crutches, and that's not the majors. <laughs> and figures out that you're not him. So you get captured, you get put into a uh, Soviet prison, and, well, long story short, you get your eye shot out. Okay. Hence the eye patch. Yep. Eye patch explanation. Uh, and then you have to escape from prison, and, yeah. Actually, you know, this, that was all sort of before the sorrow thing, but yeah, basically you got to escape from prison. Anyway, you fight Volgin, you... Uh, he runs around in the Shagahod firing rockets and blowing up the facility. You think you've escaped, then you fight the Shagahod again, then you think you've beaten it, then you fight the Shagahod again, uh, and then uh, Volgin gets struck by lightning and dies. Yep. Uh, then you... Uh, basically, then you've got to go and escape with with um, everything you've got because you know you defeated the, so the the Shagahard. Now all you got to do is kill the boss and escape. Um, and so you do. You fight the boss in a really friggin' tear jerking fight scene. It gets me every king time. Fist fight. It is basically okay. it's, it's a well, you can have any sort of weapon, but really what you want to do is just like reverse all her attacks. Um, then you kill her, you shoot her in the face, and you escape. And everyone lives happily ever after, except the girl that you, like, escaped with, uh, steals all of the mission information and the location of all of, um, Volgin's money, uh, and turns out she was a Chinese spy all along. Also, presumably all the people you killed do not live happily ever after. Well, that's true. But, yeah, you don't have to kill, you don't technically have to kill anyone except the, the, the Cobras, the, the bosses, because they explode when they die because they've got bombs wired up to their hearts. It's okay, Simon. The people that died are in a better place. <laughs> well, you can, that, that is true. You can defeat them in a non-violent way, can't you? So, Yeah, exactly. Well, you can defeat so, them in a, in a non-violent way, but they still they explode. They still explode, yeah. But. Yeah, so technically they do all still die, which is why they still appear in the, the, the Sorrow fight. And that's Metal Gear Solid 3, which then sort of its own little timeline that leads up to... Metal Gear, and that's... Um, so this is where the split timeline splits. Well, it's not a split timeline, because literally it's like... It's 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 a split timeline in the same way that Star Wars has a split timeline. You know, because they, they started 4, 5, 6, then did 1, 2, 3. With Metal Gear... No, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't follow. Right, okay, okay, I know there was no 1, 2, 3. But, right, you know how Star Wars started 4, 5, 6? Yes. Imagine that they made a series of films that were 1, 2, and 3. Oh, okay. It's sort of like that. They made Metal Gear Solid all <laughs> that, which is from the 90s onwards, all about like the, the legacy of Big Boss. And then they made Metal Gear Solid 3, which is set in the 60s, and is all about playing as Big Boss. And then there are other games like Peace Walker and Portable Ops, which where you play as Big Boss in like the 70s. Okay. Um, but I've not played those, even though I do have them in the HD collection. I need to play Portable Ops first. Um, Great. Yeah, and so that's Metal Gear Solid 3. Very nearly done! <laughs> right. You know how Metal Gear Solid was crazy? Mm -hmm. And Metal Gear Solid 2 was crazy? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I thought it was all sensible and reasonable and very well put together. I'm glad you think that, because we're about to get crazy. Oh, good! Because it's time for Metal Gear Solid 4. Oh, lovely. Oh, well, do continue. Yes. Right. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 4. 
set in uh, the near future, 2018. No, that's 2014. <gasps> it's set next year. Basically, uh, there are armies as we know them have sort of ceased to exist and the world and warfare is mostly done by uh, PNCs. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, that'll be cool. Um, I'm glad that's going to happen because looking around the world at the moment you know, we need that. Yeah. Um, and basically Metal Gears have now gotten to the point where there are geckos and I hate geckos with a fiery passion. Geckos are bipedal tanks and by tank I mean it's a box with giant legs and they, they're biomechanical because basically they leap around and moo and they, they moo. They, they, they actually moo. I, I'm serious. After this, I'll, I'll try and find a, a, a quick clip from Metal Gear Solid 4. They make a loud mooing sound. I suddenly believe you because I wanted to see what these things look like. Yeah. So I typed into Google. Yep. M G S. Yep. Space G. Yep. And it auto completed with M G S Gecko Moo. Yep. It's not even, it's not even a sound that, it's not even a sound that sounds like a moo. It's just a moo. It's a cow mooing. It's because they used, uh, a cow brain. They used a cow brain. They used a cow brain. Did they use cow vocal cords? Why would they give a tank vocal cords? Anyway! Oh my god. Yeah. Um, I'm out of gin. <laughs> fix that. <laughs> and also f- fix my rum and, rum and grape soda. Because uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 is happening. You are once again Solid Snake. Um, except now you're like really, really old because the disease you were carrying in Metal Gear Solid 1 has started to affect you and make you age faster. For some okay. reason. Plausible. Because that's, that's an effect it has. Given what's already happened in this franchise, totally plausible. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, it, was, it was given to you by um, a scientist from Foxhound called Dr. Naomi... Naomi, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Na- I think it's Naomi Hunter, isn't it? Yeah. Who was voiced by um, Jennifer Hale. Um, I don't know. Uh, Name it with the thing. Uh, Mass Effect. Fem- uh, Femship. Oh, Femship. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically... Uh, right. And you are Snake, and you're tracking down uh, Revolver Ocelot. That's, that's pretty much sort of how things start off. It gets crazy from there. I really, I can't even go into the plot things because I just there was so much happening in that that I honestly don't remember most of it. It's it's not like there's too much to go into. It's that there was so much I actually got overwhelmed playing Metal Gear Solid Four. Um, yeah, you played it once though. So key points are that um, it's all about now. Everyone in the world basically has. Uh, every soldier in the world now has biomechanics and, and nanomechanics. Cybernetics. Yeah. Um, so they're all basically being controlled with this sort of thing. So they're all being mind controlled with some kind of evil computer virus that Revolver Ocelot can force them to have seizures with. Um, and as the game goes on, it literally starts tying up all the loose ends, like um, trying to find the cure for Fox Die. Um, what happened to Big Boss's body, then you find Big Boss's body, then, spoiler, turns out it wasn't Big Boss's body, it was Solidus's body, because, you know, genetically identical and all that. Hmm. Um, and then you... Again, I can't really go into it, because it is just tying up all those sort of plots. So just anything that comes up in, in those first three, those first couple of games that you got confused on, it ties those up. Just, Not necessarily sensibly. No, but it ties them up. Um, it also has some of the best like, like the moment that made me laugh out loud is literally there is a character who has a mohawk with a little patch of hair right at the, uh, the back of his head and then shaved and then the mohawk continues so when he turns his back to you it's an exclamation point 
Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Which, it just gave me a chuckle. Um, on a Merrill's but, team. Yeah, the guy on Merrill's team, along with uh, Johnny uh, Akiba, who sucks at everything, but still like manages to stay alive and all that. And then it turns out he doesn't have any nano machines, so he's not like in the hive mind consciousness with the rest of the, the unit. So they're always taking the piss out of him for being shit. And then it turns out, wait, so you're doing all of this stuff with all these cyber augmented humans, and you're a normal guy? He's Togusa. Yeah, pretty much. Except if if they all had all assumed that Togusa was augmented, and he's been and, and uh, put him through the same family's been in it since yeah. Um, his reason, his reason for not getting the nanomachines is because he's afraid of needles. So he pushed out on the, the physical that had, we would get injected with them. He pretended he had the shits and ran away. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then he ends up, yeah, he ends up marrying Meryl, who was the kick-ass love interest from the first game, from Metal Gear Solid. I have to say, it's a really good way to take a character who sounds badass and make him sound less badass. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing is, everyone who's a badass is totally not that badass. Everyone who's not that badass is actually a badass. Yeah. And it's Metal Gear of, does um, like, like sort of fucking with those perceptions of things. Yeah. Um, anyway, Raiden turns up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only now, all that really remains biologically of Raiden is his f- face from the upper jaw upwards. His brain. His brain and his spine. Well, spinal cord. I assume they've put it in something. Yeah, in a robot body. In a, ro- in a, in a robot ninja body, which kills giant Metal Gear geckos by breakdancing. It's possibly one of the, the greatest things ever. As much by yeah, breakdancing. Yeah, basically they, they fire grappling hooks into him to keep him under control, and then he starts breakdancing and basically twirling them around and knocking them into buildings. Basically he gets... Oh, right, so it's not, a, it's not a thing he does frequently, no. but it is a thing that happens. Basically and what happens he has... is he gets the grappling hooks put into him, he falls to the ground, and then sort of spins on the ground. Yeah. He's the force to pull these you know, two-ton geckos from the ground... And into buildings and whatnot to uh, get the hook of him. And he is also now effectively in- immortal as this cyborg thing because his body regenerates the damage faster than can be faster than it can be damaged. He regenerates it. Yeah, he's um, a nanotech. Um, so basically, you see him having a fight with Vamp, whose body regenerates damage faster than it can be caused. So it's a fight between two immortals, except without that whole cutting off the head thing. So it's great and crazy, but then you realize, no, wait, actually, no one can win. Oh. Um, other great things about Metal Gear Solid 4, you fight in a Metal Gear. Yeah, you do. You get Ooh. to get inside Metal Gear Rex. From Shadow Moses. From Shadow Moses. The actual, the one that you fought and blew a big hole in the side of. Um, and you get to fight, uh, Ocelot in Metal Gear Ray on Shadow Moses. Well, we fight a whole bunch of Rays. Yeah. I mean, what I, the part of Metal Gear Solid 4 I love is that you go to Shadow Moses Island and you, you revisit the, the areas from Metal Gear Solid but on the PlayStation 3. And, oh, God, it's pretty. And it's just so wonderfully done, and the music's fantastic, and it's it starts off um, with... It says, you'll go to Shadow Moses, fade to black, mm. opens up, with the little subtitle saying Shadow Moses, and then it, suddenly it's Metal Gear Solid 1. It's the graphics of Metal Gear Solid 1. Cool. And you're running around the snowfield, and you've got to um, infiltrate the thing, just like you did in Metal Gear Solid. So you climb through the vent, and then suddenly fade to black, and then when instead of going into the next scene... Snake wakes up with a start on the helicopter to Shadow Moses. And he's basically remembering it in a dream going back to Shadow Moses. That's cool. That was pretty cool. But far and away, the best thing about Metal Gear Solid 4, and I, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily get agreed with here or what, but the final showdown, the final fight in Metal Gear oh, Solid the 4. the final fight's amazing. Is phenomenal. Because as I said, I 
love Metal Gear Solid. I've loved watching it. I've just loved watching it grow. But I mean, admittedly, I've only watched it grow from Metal Gear Solid onwards, but that's largely where a lot of the sort of plot things are coming into it now. Watching it grow and then seeing the final fight scene of Metal Gear, which is basically you on the top of uh, Arsenal Gear having a fist fight. Basically, I will point out the final boss fight of Metal Gear Solid is you on top of Metal Gear Rex having a shirtless fist fight with Liquid Snake. <laughs> the final top fight of, of, Metal- top of uh, Arsenal, not on top of Rex. No, no, in Metal Gear Solid, it's on top oh, of Rex. Oh, Solid, sorry. Yeah. Solid, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in 4, it's on top of Arsenal Gear, and you're having a shirtless fist fight with Revolver Ocelot. And that would be cool on its own. But what makes it amazing is that it plays the boss fight theme from Metal Gear Solid 1, and the health bars look like the health bars from Metal Gear Solid 1, until you do a certain amount of damage. Then the music changes to the boss fight from Metal Gear Solid 2, and the health bars change to Metal Gear Solid 2. Cool. And then you do enough damage, and then it changes to Snake Eater, the main theme from Metal Gear Solid 3, and the health bars change, and it gives you your stamina bar from Metal Gear Solid 3, and you fight that way, until eventually you defeat Revolver Ocelot. See, that sounds cool, but I would have gone in the other direction. Yeah? So it started out current. And then worked backwards. And worked backwards. Yeah. yeah. That would have been very cool. But even um, the fight styles change, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's like like throwing each other in late. Because you, you are both of you giving your last, because Snake realises he's got, I think, what, weeks to live at this point. Yeah. And he's got to save the world and all sorts of stuff. And Revolver Ocelot is, he knows he's not long for this world. So it's literally just it's two dying men beating the shit out of each other on top of a giant robot. Oh, and also just to make everyone who was sort of confused about the um, whole Revolver Ocelot being possessed by Liquid Snake through his arm thing, more confused and less confused. One fan theory that came about, and I know that there is an actual answer to this, but I want to say sort of lead into it with, there was a fan theory banding around that since Revolver Ocelot is the son of the Sorrow, who was a medium, he could have inherited some of his father's powers and therefore having the arm of someone grafted onto him, communicating with the spirit of that person. That was a fan theory that got bandied around. I thought that was a particularly cool fan theory. Doesn't sound awful. Yeah. That makes more sense than the actual thing. In actuality, uh, Revolver (laughs) Ocelot, in order to fool the rest of the Patriots, because it turns out he's one of them, uh, into thinking that he was like, not to, sort of they didn't have to necessarily take him seriously. Like He was... um, He wasn't able to plan. They They had to think that he was crazy and therefore not a threat. So he reprogrammed his nanomachines to occasionally wrest control of his body and pretend to be Liquid Snake. So, he was and wasn't faking it. So, it's kind of like when I want a day off from work so I intentionally stab myself (laughs) in the eye with a pen. And then forget you did it. And then, yeah, forget I did it. Yeah. So it's like it was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Okay, there you go. So there you go. Does that make any more sense now, Simon? No. Are you okay? Yes. And also, no. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Put it this way. Yep. So far, this show has uh, justified my decision not to play these games. But you really, really should, because, like, it's... (sighs) I can't really describe it any other way. Like, it is absolutely crazy. But these characters, you will literally... You've grown to love them so much. And then as time goes on, you see the things that happen. And you're like, okay, this is batshit insane. I totally recognize that it is batshit insane. But there is some really damn good storytelling going on there as well. Um, two and three uh, do probably the best job of it. Four has some amazing tear-jerking moments because it is all coming to an end. Um, I think five, five is set in the, the 70s and 80s, respectively, So because it's two parts. Um, so this is sort of like the end, end. Um, and the, the, the sort of epilogue thing is... I mean, I'll go into it again because, again, spoilers and all that. 
Um, Snake realizes he doesn't have long to live, and not only that, but in the last few, I think it's the last few hours of his life, when literally when he dies, um, he will essentially go off like a bio bomb and infect anyone in the rese- in the uh, the area with his virus. Okay. Um, and the only way to basically stop that is to kill himself or die, in, you know, die before that happens, basically. Okay. So he goes to uh, a cemetery. I guess to I think it's Arlington. He goes to a cemetery where uh, the boss from Metal Gear Solid Three is buried, um, and prepares to shoot himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And puts the gun in his mouth. Cut to black. And I was literally like paralyzed at that moment. And then it came back, and he hadn't shot himself. And behind him was Big Boss. But you, hear, you do hear the gunshot. You do hear the gunshot, and I'm not sure what happened there. Well, he's inherited Fortune's ability to not yeah. be hit by bullets. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically, Big Boss is there with Major uh, Zero, who is like his commander from um, Metal Gear Solid 3, and basically is the, the big bad. It's not quite the big bad, because it doesn't. it's all grey area moral stuff, but essentially the, 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 the puppet master of the whole thing um, is there. And, yeah, basically, uh, Big Boss kills Major Zero, and then dies, and it turns out Snake's actually going to be okay. But all those final chapters of Big Boss and everything like that, it's finally over. And Snake moves on. And that's the end of Metal Gear Solid 4. I will also say, my favorite, one of my favorite things about Metal Gear Solid 4 is that if you look, if you look at, literally look at how Snake lives, it is one of the most amazing out of context things ever. Because I will just describe his lifestyle <laughs> Snake and his totally best friend, nothing else, Otacon, live in a plane and travel around the world solving mysteries with their adopted daughter and their pet chickens. <laughs> I like chickens. No lies. That's, that's actually yeah. what happens. Snake and Ocelot live together in a giant plane, fly around the world solving mysteries with their adopted daughter and pet chickens. Snake and Ocelot? So, uh, Snake and Otacon, sorry. I keep doing that. Which is a... I was going to say, that would be a much more interesting yeah. plot. <laughs> and I, I always think it's like quite an interesting thing, especially in a, in a series that literally just takes a whole um, never flat out stating things about sexuality, except with Vamp, where it's outright stated that he's bisexual because he has a very creepy relationship with... Uh, I forget if it's like uh, Fortune and her father, or Fortune and her former husband. Something like that. Yeah. Either way, it's sort of it's a bit weird. Um, I think it was yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, this is one of the things again I would really like to do an episode on either on a Metal Gear podcast or if we did another um, uh, crossover with Do Ask Do Tell is the Metal Gear franchise's uh, attitudes towards sexuality because it is one of the things where it's just a case of like. It, no one's going to announce their sexuality. It's just going to come up in, it may come up in things that they say or do, but no more so than it would in an actual conversation. Like my reading of the new Tomb Raider. Exactly like that. That is exactly what made me think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something I've really liked about it because it's, it's, we can essentially, from looking at the game, once you've looked at all the games, you can essentially agree Ocelot is gay. And if not, then certainly like exclusively, uh, interested in Big Boss. There's a relevant piece of listener mail to this conversation. There well. is, um, and it's it, and watching his romance because literally the romance between Ocelot and and uh, Big Boss is essentially the sort of focal point for most of the stuff in these games. It's where most of it seems to come from. You know, basically, if Big Boss and Ocelot had just gotten together, 
then all of this horrible stuff probably would never have happened. If they'd have just gotten married, then this would have all been fine. <laughs> and I would be totally happy with that. Um, yeah. The listener mail is from someone who is in the chat box right now and is uh, an avid listener who is also our resident sort of Metal Gear fan. And I'm saying that because, you know, having sent me uh, the Metal Gear asks. Right. This is actually from two... I think Yeah. From last week. Um... And it's an addition to another piece of fan mail, which we will come to because we'll do an episode on casual and freemium and Facebook games and that sort of thing. So I'll do this. P.S. Please, please do a Metal Gear Solid episode. I'm sure there is ample demand for it. For the record, my favorite video game character ever is Ocelot. So this may color my impressions, but to me, he is an excellent yet understated example of a gay character in gaming. And his obsession with Big Big Boss brings more tears to my eyes than it really should. Should you comply, I may release some photos of my MGS3 Ocelot cosplay. And yes, I can indeed twirl my revolvers. You're pretty good, Lazarus Desaad. And yeah, uh, we've done the, the MGS episode, and I again, sort of this thing with Ocelot being a great understated gay character is is very very true. Um, there is also another thing as well, and I want to see what people's reactions are to this based entirely on my descriptions of them, because the extra bit is, uh, who is your favourite Metal Gear character and why? My own is Ocelot, naturally, for reasons that have already been detailed. Also, did you freak out the first time you encountered Psychomantis' psychic fourth-wall-destroying abilities? So, Mike, based on how I've described things, <laughs> who is your favourite Metal Gear Solid character? My favourite Metal Gear Solid character is Big Boss, because if I put on a suit and an eye patch, I apparently look like him. That is true. <laughs> it has been commented more than once. Then now we're getting to the realms of getting together a, a, a Metal Gear Solid cosplay group. Yeah, actually, considering doing that. Um, Irish, you've played the games. Who's your favourite Metal Gear Solid character? My favourite? Yep. Mm, I personally like uh, Sonny. Sonny? Yeah. Snake and Ocelot... I did it again. Snake and Otacon's adopted <laughs> daughter. Yeah, all she wants to do is make some eggs. All she wants to do is fry eggs. Which, if she's surrounded by chickens, sounds easy. It is, but she's not very good at it to start with. No, that and she's, you know, um, oh, oh, oh prodigy. Yeah, the plot reading thing of how the eggs come out and everything is, uh, the beginning of each chapter of Metal Gear Solid 4 starts with Sonny, uh, breaking an egg into a frying pan and, like, how it looks and it's all, um, metaphorical stuff. Like, there's one point where there's two yolks and there's another one where it's, like, um, two eggs and one doesn't, it, it's really, really confusing, but they all reference different Metal Gear Solid games. Mm. Um, again, I'll leave that for the the podcast series. So, Sonny, um, Sonny yeah. Galupovich, as 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 a, as a side character, Sonny. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it's a wrong decision. I'm not deriding you of it in any sense. It's just that's an interesting one. Yeah. If I was to pick like uh, one of the main guys, I, I suppose um, ah, what's his name? Metal Gear Two. <laughs> Another side character, actually. Sort um, the guy who. Fat Man, Train Fat Man. Oh, Peter Stillman. Yeah, Peter Stillman. Peter Stillman's awesome. Yeah. So Peter not... Stillman is one of the most outlandish and exciting character names in all of Metal Gear Solid. Uh, Peter, Peter Stillman is a um, he's a bomb expert. He used to work with the I think it's the NYPD and yeah. then the FBI. Um, and basically, a, he goes off to stop a bomb from blowing up a church, but he fails and he loses the use of one of his legs. Um, and then it turns out basically he didn't lose the use of one of his legs, but he felt that basically 
he hated the idea of basically being the only person to survive. The bomb killed a whole bunch of people, and he was fine. So survivor guilt. Yeah, survivor guilt. So he basically pretended to lose the use of a leg, um, and then ends up dying in Metal Gear Solid 2 when he helps you defuse a bomb by, by, by getting blowed up. I like all the side characters. Yeah. I don't, I don't dislike Snake and Raiden and that lot, but... Yeah. It's all the extra bits that are in it to make that... What about you, coming back. Well, I would have thought, before we did this episode, yeah. that it would be Psychomantis, purely because of the, the sort of fourth wall meta. Yeah. And I still really like that. Yeah. But now that I know more about the characters, I'd have to say The Sorrow. Oh, excellent. Yeah, The Sorrow is a good because one. Because I love any game that gives you sort of multiple solutions to the problem. Yeah. Uh, especially if, as in this case, it's to kill or not to kill. Because mm. that's a really interesting moral decision to make in video games. And it doesn't let you know ahead of time that this is what happens if you kill a whole bunch of people. Exactly. Because most of those games, at most, will give you an achievement... Before doing it clean. Yeah, I mean, you still get that. You still get your uh, your ranking at the end based on uh, incapacitating guards rather than killing yeah. them. Yeah, but that's that's normally sort of the best you can expect. Yeah. But the idea of confronting someone with their decision in such a, a straight-up way, mm. <laughs> the, these are your decisions and they have consequences. I think that's genius. I'm, that's a really cool... I'm really happy with that answer. <laughs> oh, so you, you, you've learned something and, and developed a new opinion on something today. I have indeed. That's excellent. I'm going to have to give, which means I'm going to have to give the, because you guys have actually all given really smart answers, more or less, Mike. Um, he, he gave an answer. I'm going to have to give, his answer is perfectly legitimate. Yeah, that is, yeah. I'm going to have to give the cop-out answer, which is, I honest to God cannot pick a favourite. Right. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can give you one that will make it a stupid one. Yep. Uh, Jenna's favourite character is the box. Fair enough. The box is... Integrity. It's probably the only character I could recognise by sight. <laughs> Saying that, I do like the barrel. Yeah, the barrel replaces the box in Metal Gear Solid 4. But I'll, just, yes. I'll just say as well, my fav- a little bit from Metal Gear Solid 4, which is my favourite little anecdote from playing that game. Um, you have a psyche meter, which basically goes down if you're overly stressed or sad. And you can get depressed when like people call you old. And you can get really stressed if you're like in the middle of a firefight. Or guards are looking for you and alarms are going off and explosions and shit like that. And you so you can, can go up by looking at some boobs. Yeah, or um, by hiding. Like, when you know you're safe and secure and hidden, your psyche goes up. Uh, when you are under threat, your psyche goes down. And if your psyche is really low or high, if your psyche is in a bad way, you don't regenerate health as quickly and your aim is shit. Your arms are constantly shaking. And I found a point where basically I was... Still in alert mode at one point in the game, so I was being chased by guards, but there were no guards. I think I'd, like, killed them all or gotten to a place where they couldn't get me, but the alert was still going on, and my psyche meter was declining rapidly, despite the fact I was absolutely fine and there was no chance I was going to get hurt. So I ran around trying to find a place to hide to make my psyche meter get back to normal. Couldn't find one. Tried crawling on the ground, nothing happened. I equipped the barrel, which is like the cardboard box in this game. Got inside the barrel... And my psyche meter slowly started going back to normal. So now my headcanon is the barrel is Snake's happy place. <laughs> I, was just, I hid in the barrel. I was like, I'll be fine now. And then I got out of the barrel. Psyche meter started to fuck up again. Like, ah, got in the barrel. It'll be okay as long as I'm in the barrel. Yeah, exactly. And then I had to basically move around the map in the barrel. So I got in the barrel, tipped it onto its side, and rolled down a hill. Yeah. 
At which, uh, roughly halfway down the hill, Snake stopped, got out of the barrel, potted around in a circle for a bit, and vomited all over the floor. <laughs> which made your psyche meet a big down, hit to the psyche there. He did not like being sick on himself. So yeah, that's a weird bit from Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, it's very weird. If I honestly had to pick a favourite character in Metal Gear Solid... And you do. I, I'm going to say... Right in. Right, it's going to be one of those things where it changes literally every five seconds. Can I can I pick one for each game? No. Oh, it's like it's such a toss up between Ocelot, Raiden, and and Big Boss. Um. All right, since we've already we've already had a vote for Ocelot from from Lazarus, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Raiden. Um, for much the same reason as my favorite character in, in Evangelion is Shinji. <laughs> Go on. Everyone seems to hate Shinji and says that he whines and lots of stuff. But once you actually look at the character, it's a giant actually robot. watch if you actually watch him, you go, actually, you've got some legitimate gripes here. And watching <laughs> the character progression, you're like, you're incredibly sympathetic. But on the surface, he yes, does whine a lot. But he does, yeah, absolutely, he does totally whine a lot. But if you watch it and you start to, if you watch Ava and just watch Shinji's progression and lots of stuff, you become so attached to the little fucker. Well, I was going to say he does whine a lot. Yeah. But he whines because his father abandoned him. Yep. And then only shows interest in him when he might be vaguely useful as cannon fodder to throw in front of an seemingly unstoppable enemy, despite the fact he's had no training or emotional preparation. Yeah. I think I would whine. Exactly. I'd whinge a little. And that's the thing is, you're supposed to sort of, um, you're supposed to see yourself in him. You're supposed to empathise and sympathise with him. Same with Raiden. A lot of fans really don't like Raiden, largely because, you know, we were told we're going to play Snake and now we're playing this pretty boy. And he just keeps whining about how this is all weird and, like, he doesn't understand what's going on and this isn't, like, the the VR missions. I'm like, yeah, he's us. He's us in this situation. The only way, the only experience he has is playing video games of being Snake. Now he's thrown into the actual situation. He's fighting vampires and witches and, and a fat man on roller skates. And the horrible, horrible stuff that happens to him, and the stuff that he, his repressed memories that come up, because it turns out he was um, a child soldier and things like that, but he completely repressed the memories. Um, all this stuff keeps coming up, and people still hate him for whining and, and not being Snake. And I'm like, he's so much more of a deep character. Snake is the kind of perfect soldier sort of thing, and he does have a lot of depth to it, but Raiden is so three dimensional and so sympathetic a character. Um, when the sh- when some shit happens to him in Metal Gear Solid Four, um, especially with like you know being a robot and all that sort of stuff and being microwaved, um, it I feel so sorry for him and really empathize with him. He is probably yeah. I'm gonna say Raiden. Raiden is my favorite character from the Metal Gear Solid franchise, and he does not get enough love. Now that's a scene in Metal Gear Solid Four that's like that. It's reminded me that it's like almost like a god is snake in the microwave chamber. Yeah. Um, like, oh. basically Raiden getting his arms and legs cut off and still killing well he's getting his arms cut off and still killing people by like sword fighting with his mouth his feet his feet yeah because he's got weird he's got like um, high heels built into his feet and his toes are um, uh, completely well, what's the word prehensile not prehensile um, like intensile. what's the thing we have with our thumbs Simon opposable opposable that's the word he has opposable toes so yeah he has, he has feet like a monkey he does right that's Metal Gear in a nutshell. In a nutshell, I've tried to. Although we that's... didn't talk about acid. Oh, sorry. Yes, You're, you've played my Metal Gear Acid. Yes, I have almost nothing to say about it, it except is... that once I owned a PlayStation Portable, and people who owned PlayStation Portables owned Metal Gear Acid. Yep. And in Metal Gear Acid, you had cards 
that gave you special abilities based on different characters and events in the Metal Gear universe. Yeah. And if I'd known anything about that universe, I might have got the references. Yeah. I Sniper Wolf improved your aim. That made sense. Yeah. So it was a different twist on how the game played because it was a mobile game. So it was turn-based. It was a little bit slower, a little bit more... Um, almost board game-like with the card upgrades and movement being dictated by squares. But I didn't have a clue what was going on. Fair enough. And after tonight, I'm not sure I would have if I had played all the rest of Metal Gear either. <laughs> yeah. I seriously, I would really suggest, I mean, obviously having gone through all the plots and all that, but people who have played it should totally play it. People who haven't, totally go and play it, because I know I've just sort of like explained the plot here, but there is there is so much more to it than that. That I mean, literally, I mean... <sighs> If I, if I, using Star Wars again as an example, if I said to you, a guy learns that he's a secret swordsman because his dad was and he goes and fights an evil emperor and it blows a thing up and told you that was the plot of Star Wars, would you think, eh, there's no point in watching Star Wars anymore? You have pretty much covered it. Yeah. But is that, would you still suggest people go and would, that people hadn't, who hadn't seen Star Wars should watch the Star Wars trilogy? I guess. Yeah. I've explained bits of these about Metal Gear Solid, but there is, so much more. There are really, really good series of stealth games. Um, I would argue the best, but that's because I haven't played Thief, and I don't know. That's the other one, the, the major one that jumps to mind is Thief. What do you, I mean? Splinter Cell. I hated Splinter Cell. Way too many buttons. See, Thief is brilliant. Okay. It's absolute genius. The, the sort of elevator pitch for Thief mm-hmm. is take the classic film noir and set it in medieval times. Okay, cool. I mean, that's the first other one that sort of jumps to mind in the terms of stealth game. Um, so if you want a stealth game with a ridiculous plot, like James Bond plus... James Bond plus anime. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you found the way to make it worse, because I, I was thinking anime-level insane plot. Yeah. And then the more you explained, I thought, yeah. that just doesn't cover it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth, there is so much more madness to it than that. Hideo Kojima is a truly, truly gifted and dangerous individual. Um, if you want to, if you don't yeah. want to, if you still, you know, you just don't have access to the games or whatever, you can always hop on YouTube and watch the Him Daisy videos. Yeah, oh my god, right. The Him Daisy ones are wonderful. Him Daisy is a, uh, a webcomic artist who basically wrote a, an abridged plot of Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, and Metal Gear Solid 3. Oh, and Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. Uh, and they were turned into what's called the Hyperdub. So if you want a complete the uh, problem is they, they won't make as much sense if you've not played the games. Um, but from our vague descriptions, you could go and watch them, and, and they are still hilarious to, uh, to see. Um, so yeah, please, if you haven't played Metal Gear Solid, play Metal Gear Solid, play Metal Gear Solid 2, play Metal Gear Solid 3, get the HD collection on Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3, because it's got Metal Gear, so- it's got Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake on it. Um, so that literally gives you everything except... The le- the, yeah, the Legacy Collection gives you from Metal yeah, Gear... The best thing to do is get the Legacy four. Collection on PlayStation 3, because that gives you yeah. everything except what, Portable Ops? Portable Ops, yeah. Because it gives you from Metal Gear all the way through to 4, just not Portable Ops. And... Uh, yeah, it does give you Peace Walker. Peace Walker, which is weird because Portable Ops is before Peace Walker, oh, so yeah. it's still part of the plot. Very weird. Anyway... Please go and play these games. Stealth games, crazy plot, heartbreaking storylines and character development, and beautiful music. Absolutely phenomenal music. 
Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 onwards, music was done by Western composer Harry Gregson Williams. So if anyone here has seen The Rock with, uh. Sean Connery. Yeah, well, with Sean Connery and, did that have Nicolas Cage in as well? No, that was Keanu Reeves. Was it? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it John Cuse? I, anyway, The Rock. That, <laughs> film, that film where that guy gets stabbed with the adrenaline. Pulp Fiction? Well, Pulp Fiction. No, Uma Thurman's not a guy. Wait, she's not? That's very rude. Anyway. I'm sorry. Oh, that was Nicolas Cage. Oh, it was? Okay, cool. I thought I was, wasn't going crazy. But yeah, if, if, the, the guy did music for that, um, who also does, I believe, the music for the, the Call of Duty series as well. Um, yeah, it's it's phenomenal all round. I cannot fault Metal Gear Solid. And the only thing I could poss- the only thing I could even think to fault it on would be the plot is crazy. But that's actually a winner in my book. That's that's a praise in my book. The plot is crazy. Yeah, that works. Um, don't try and follow it on the first go through. Just enjoy yourself and and then go through and go. Oh, I see now. Or oh, I don't see what is going on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think. I've got room to say once more, play Metal Gear! <laughs> and that was Jack. I, I have been decoy Jacktopus. I was occasionally Mike. I was Irish. And I have been the sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but return to being Simon. Oh, you'll have to return to being Simon next week. I will. Because you know what next week's episode is? It's number 50. It's episode 50, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! We finally made it. So if you guys can find some way, and there are so many ways you can play it in a web browser, to just spend some time doodling around Elite so you know what I'm talking about. And I'm talking to you, the listener, and I'm talking to you, my co-hosts. What's Elite? We're going to talk about Elite, which in my opinion is the finest video game creation of all time, and I hope to persuade you of that. (laughs) But until then... Until then. Well, we've already done the sign-off, so I'll just say... Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.